Good to have you here on this Friday. Kevin Thomas, glad you are making us a part of your day here on 3 and Out. A lot to get to here on the show. Kevin Knight, the Falcoholic, will join us. Falcons, of course, there at the Combine. What are they looking for? And obviously, very deep at the wide receiver and tight end spot, something the Falcons could be taking a look at there in the draft. Also, Anthony Trash, pro football focus. He's been at the Combine, and we'll get his thoughts on the very latest there from Indianapolis, who's improving their stock, who might be some guys uh, that we haven't heard about a whole lot up until this point that we might be hearing a whole lot more about in the, the coming weeks. So they will both join us here in hour number one. Also, Connor Riley of Dog Nation will join us. We'll look at all the Georgia Bulldogs there at the Combine as 14, more than any other school by a pretty wide margin, and what they have a, a chance to do. I'm surprised to see some of the things uh, that have already come out there with uh, Georgia guys. Uh, was it uh, Jordan Davis saying he played up at like 350, 360 for most of the year there for Georgia and saying, hey, I'm going to get down, I'll be down at 330. Yeah, very thick. Uh, needless, I think we knew that by looking at him, but uh, he said, hey, I'm going to play down at like 330 uh, in the league. And also okay. Matt Smith will join us coming up in the final hour. We'll talk some SEC spring storylines with him as spring practice is popping up all across the SEC. So plenty to get to here on the show. And I want to hit this right off the bat, uh, Christian, as uh, you know, I've been pretty passionate uh, about MLB and their their lockout here and have and, you? Yeah, a little bit. I, I, I really don't like Rob. Uh, Rob. I guess I can call him Rob because you know Mike Trout called him Rob. There you He's go. He's like Rob locked us out. So I guess I can. Yeah, call I guess him. if you if there's no MLB, then you can't be the commissioner of it. Yeah, you're just you're just Rob. So yeah. Uh, but obviously here we go. We're continuing. We don't know when uh, they're going to meet again. I know they had kind of a meeting of the negotiators uh, yesterday. And boy, the the owners are writing the textbook for how to lose in the court of public opinion uh, the, the entire way. One, you're you are the people that initiated the lockout. I do think it's still a strategy where you can say, "All right, fine, we'll come back under the other CBA." Uh, but then you get a report in the Athletic uh, coming out that the Angels, Reds, Diamondbacks, and Tigers have all said we don't even want to raise the CBT to two hundred and twenty million. We're against that and don't want it to go any higher than it already is. So you've got four cheap owners out there now kind of leaked on the uh, on the record. Uh, and the players are obviously looking for at least 230 in the starting year of it. And you have MLB being as petty as ever, proposing that you add in the meal money to count towards the CBT calculations, i.e. if you get close, we'll somehow fudge the numbers at Yankees and Red Sox to say, you know all those biscuits you were buying with the per diem on the road? Yeah, that counts towards the CBT. You went over, you got to pay a fine. Like, this this is so ridiculous. And I I think uh, it was also noted that three of the four of these owners also voted against Steve Cohen owning the Mets. And you say, well, who cares? Well, Steve Cohen has come in and just broke the bank spending money uh, on the the Mets baseball team. And so they're like, well, I don't want to look bad. So... No, we don't want to raise it, raise it anymore. So baseball continues to look bad uh, here on a Friday and are continuing to write the book on how to not do it with this latest uh, kind of expose from the athletic. Well, yeah, and I think it's both sides, right? I mean, when you get down to the – we had this conversation, what, for two months right. during the pandemic, the beginning of the yeah. pandemic in 2020. Me and you came on here every day, and it's – you have billionaires arguing with millionaires while – Fans just want to watch baseball, but more more importantly, I'd say than that, stadium workers, 
who are like the MLB is now having to prepare emergency funds. Well, to, that, the, the Players Association yeah. did it. Well, the Players Association yeah. did it, but MLB has come out yeah. and said that they're preparing a fund as well to ha- help take care of those people right. who it affects. But it's, I mean, you don't want to sound self-serving here, but I mean, it affects us. Yeah, I mean, well, we're the home of the Atlanta Braves. I don't it's think kinda, they're going to give us a check. No, but it's, yeah, it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of hard to operate as the home of the Atlanta yeah. Braves without you know the Atlanta Braves. So it's it's affecting a lot more than just them. And I understand they're fighting for the future of their sport as players, and the, they're they're battling ownership greed. Is the it, that's but, true? Yeah. But I think the optic is like I said, when billionaires fight millionaires, the the people spectating are kind of like, just get it done. No, I mean, I, I I do agree with that to some extent, and I think the players say, "Well, we're fighting for the guys that aren't millionaires uh, in our sport uh, that are we're trying to raise their let them get paid sooner for their uh, their abilities and and some of those things." And I think ultimately, the players at this point can play this card until they have baseball again. But we, we no, I'm saying, but they can play this card of we want to play, we cannot go to the complex. We cannot go to the ballpark. Yeah, they will not let us go to the ballpark. But I think the difference so that, is, like, you had the Kellogg strike not too long ago, sure. where the Kellogg employees this isn't a strike out. though. No, what I'm saying is, is you they the reason they weren't able to come to it is because they were being forced to work 14 hour shifts and sure. sweat and and just inhospitable conditions, and then they were having their money like taken away and they weren't grandfathered in. It was all kinds of things where these guys were having to go and gals having to go to work every day and work 70, 80 hour weeks. Yeah. Whereas again, the names, I think it's perception. The names we hear from like Mike Trout, it's like, dude, you, you have like a half a billion dollar contract. Right. Like, come no, on I, now. No, I understand that. And again, it's all being fought for on a relative scale because right. a lot of people yeah. will say, well, it's millionaires fighting with billionaires. Well, basically what they're saying is, so the players should just cap what we make and let the owners just make as much as our sport produces. Sure. Like, and so that's what I think. That's what when you get in some of these high dollar it's just, situations, when, it's like it's all on a relative scale. Like the players are saying, we get every there's lots of money. We just want the players to get their share of it because people are coming to watch us go out there. I'm just saying, there's 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 no victim in the public perception here, and it's like we or, understand. Yeah, yeah understand it's like that, we yeah. understand what you're doing, but it's like as I go to my job where I'm trying to make forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars, if you're lucky to be like upper middle class, right? And you're arguing about like, well, you know, we want our starting salary to be like two hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. Like it's just like. All right. And when you break yeah. it down to play a game. No, I understand and that. And be catered to at every step of the way. I understand that. But again, they're a part of that system, and they're trying to make the system they're sure. a part of. Uh, they do have an elite skill set that not a lot of people can. Not arguing that. Can, I'm just arguing. If you're, looking, if you're looking for sympathy. No, I'm not saying yeah. they're And I don't know that the players are asking for any. I think the players are simply saying, look, this is a billion-dollar business. We want to make sure that the product on the field are the ones that benefit as much as the owners who say they're not benefiting from it. I mean, you had the commissioner saying MLB ownership is a bad investment. I mean, that's just not true. I mean, that's every, everybody knows that owning a sports franchise in this country has been more. But my, but my a, honest a, a, to God a, question. I'm not trying to question Mike Trout or Max Scherzer. Sure. Is do you really believe that Max Scherzer and Mike Trout, when they walk in, give a rip about the 19 year old minor leaguer coming up and his living conditions? Well, I, I. I that's an honestly got question. I think as as guys who went through it, they might uh, because I think you have seen players at least advocate for minor league baseball to get more pay, and they actually, even though they're separate, they actually have to provide housing for minor league baseball players uh, now from the team. So that's better. I think there is some of that that goes through, and I, I'll throw it to Ben because I can. I have not been in that situation. I will say this for Ben, and 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 Ben, you have said I don't want to put words in your mouth that you said. Look, once I got out of the game, I understood it more than while I was in it, but. 
I'll just throw questions uh, question to you. While you were playing, say, year four or five, did you care what a rookie was going through in the National Football League? Yes. And uh, and the reason why I say yes is because I think sometimes we, we misconstrue what our responsibilities are as, as players. If I was a second-round pick and I never really understood what it was like to have to, have to know every day if I'm going to have my livelihood of getting cut, see, I don't know what that's like because I was a high-round pick. But every sport is made up of the – of the last guys on the roster. We know we know that we know the marquee name, we know the Mike Trouts of the world, we know the you know the Scherzers of the world, but they're two guys on a 26-man roster. The guys that make up the team are the guys that don't make a million dollars a year. So I think that when I first come into the league, no, I don't really understand what those guys go through. But as I got older, I realized, dude, these dudes work just as hard, they sacrifice just as much. It's just the fact that where you get drafted or prestige or where you come from is gonna have a lot to do with how people see you. So I, I listen, I give Mike Trout a lot of credit because he knows it's only one me, man. And I don't even make the freaking playoffs. And I am the <laughs> face of baseball, right? People are always talking about he wants to be a weatherman when he gets done. Yeah, he also can buy the weather channel when he leaves. So I think that responsibilities get, you know, it gets more heightened as you get older because coming in as a rookie, I don't know what to expect in the second year, third year. Okay, I get what this thing is. So, yes, the responsibility is more but I'm not, because Mike Trout knows if I don't take care of the lowest guy on the totem pole, there won't be no baseball. But, Ben, I'm not arguing about I'm not arguing about responsibility. What, I, what I'm saying is would any of us have any sympathy or care one way or the other if we were listening to brokers argue it out in a Wall Street company? No, the only no. reason we care is because we care about baseball, right? And the, the reality is the lowest paid player in 2021 made $570,000. Mm-hmm. The lowest paid player in Major League Baseball, which is probably just some minor leaguer who came up. Uh, it was a right-handed pitcher, Kyle Garlick from Minnesota. I don't know if any of us have ever heard of Kyle Garlick, but he made half a million dollars last year. And so mm-hmm. people who in the public who love baseball and love consuming that sport and have eaten the price increases of trying to go to their team's games and had to pay Major League Baseball if you're in an out-of-market an exorbitant amount of money to consume your team's games uh, and just really the fan kind of bearing the brunt of all of this, I don't think they give a rip either way. No, they're not supposed to. I'm not saying they're supposed to give a rip, but Christian, like you looking at it from a you, – it's one of those things to where – you know, it's it's different strokes for different folks. These people are saying, look, man, this is big business we're talking about. This is billionaire. This is billionaires. It, let me say, this is not billionaires versus millionaires. This is billionaires versus some millionaires and a bunch of thousandaires. A lot of thousands, a whole bunch of thousands. I would say a majority of think- them are millionaires because, like I said, Kyle Garlick made the, the least amount of money last year and he made 570000 That's That's pretty – again, it's semantical. I would say that's pre-tax. I mean, they're, but still, they're not Kyle, walking around if, with a million bucks but, in their pocket. No, but still, if Kyle plays two years – he will have earned over a million dollars playing Major League Baseball. Yeah, I mean, but that's like saying that's like saying if I if I if I worked in a company and I made a hundred thousand dollars for two years, I don't have two hundred k in the bank. I'm gonna be spending this cheese. I know what you. I I can see both sides of what you're saying, Christian. But like I said, you know, understand this. The players tried to keep it simple. They gave the owners a mulligan, and the owners messed this up. Because I think what happens in these situations is you're not dealing with players that just, quote, play baseball and go home. No, they know what they bring to the table. They see how Mike Trout can fill a stadium that he doesn't even play in because of how big of a player he is. I'm, I'm helping other teams make revenue. So I do think I do think the owners the owners are very very like greedy in this situation because they they had they locked it out in December. You had that much time to get this done. I'm just so I'm just trying to talk I, both I sides because happy. when we get on here and we call the owners greedy, 
Well, right. I mean, it's, no, but it's just, it's just, I'm not, and I'm not trying to get on here and support owners, no, right? I'm not, I'm, I'm not, not trying I'm, to get I'm, on here and support billionaires, but it's like, and you hear it all over the place. Ben's not the only person saying it yeah. is, is the narrative is the players are fighting ownership. Greed is what they're fighting. So then what are the players fighting for? What is their motivation? That, well, I mean, cause like, cause we use words like greed with the owners and then we use words like security with the players. Because, because, because the owners are only fighting for 30 people. The players are fighting for current players, future players, and former players. That's a CBA is not just for the current player. You are talking about former players that have played and future players who are coming. So it's thirty versus thousands of people. But That's what are they fighting for? Fight. For those people, they're fighting for a a chance to get to their contract earlier. I know that was one thing that's been in there is they are trying to get them to get to arbitration faster. So a guy like Ronald Acuna, again, who got a big deal from the Braves, they didn't have to do that. Uh, he has come up and and played really well under the. The current system, I mean, you go to arbitration, he might get a few more, a uh, few more dollars, but he's not going to get the contract no, that but, that but he would probably get. All as of those things you're talking about, getting to arbitration earlier, yeah. right? Securing better contracts. Yeah. What are what are they fighting for? I think they are fighting like ben, for that. Like Ben's talking about future, and for everyone else, no. But like, but for what? To, uh, to have a to, well, number one, number one, you trying to make it so that when the next when the next group of players come through, the the floor, the the ceiling that was set with the current players. Become something that's worth people fighting for for the future players. And no, but that's I extremely philanthropic. Back. But my point is, what is all of this fighting for? Well, one, they it's, want to play baseball. But one, I think they're also trying to. Look they're out fighting for more. more money. Well, I mean, but yes, that's no, what, not, otherwise not, there would not, be no. Not, they, if, not, if it wasn't about not, money, they would not, need no CBA, not, and everybody yeah. would just show up and play. Right, yeah, Brett Baxter on Twitter. Not necessarily, man. I'm telling you, more money. I always remember this: when it comes to a collective bargaining agreement, they're only going to put the stuff out to the media that they think you're interested in. This thing is way more. Way more integral than people make it seem. This thing is thick. Like we just looking at the, the 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 high priority, I guess, like items. It's a lot. I mean, it's a lot. I mean, I mean, I just think that sometimes when you talk about these owners, man, or these players, the players don't even know how much they fighting for. They so they come to the table and they be like, "Do we got to do what? But what?" Like they learn about all this stuff when they come. I see what Bridget. I, I I understand exactly what you're saying, but. You know, it would be equivalent. I mean, to you know, buying a home and going through it and going through that contract. Ask Kevin, man. It's so many papers that you sign, and you're like, dude, I just want to get the crib. Yeah, but we got to go through this. It is thick. So I, I do understand both sides of it. But as a former player, I just understand too. You don't even know how much you fight for a Christian until you get to the bargaining table. Well, I think uh, I think a, a, a lot of what I see in it is it is is maybe the players view it this way, but it should be a partnership, and maybe they don't see it that way. Like, hey, we are the product. We are all making money. We just want to make sure that it's not, hey, I mean, because so, on the other side, you would come back and say, well, what's the alternative to the players? It would be nobody in the league makes more than $100,000 a year, and that's more than enough. Meanwhile, the profits never changed. The revenue didn't change. We're still making billions of dollars. We just said nobody gets more than a million bucks because, well, that's enough. You're good. So I think it's on a relative scale here where, Again, I, I think the owners have tried to cry that they don't have enough money. Well, you don't give out $40 million contracts if you are not able to do that. And I think the players are saying, look, we want more players at the bottom getting paid more, which is fine. Again, I don't think there's a problem saying that. Every labor disagreement in the history of the world is about money. Like, that, nobody goes on strike because they want the toilets to work better. Like, they, everybody goes on strike to get more money uh, I would, at, I would, at their job. I would absolutely disagree with that. So if not you, one you, strike no, has ever happened in the history world where they said, no, and no. as a byproduct, we would also like to get no, paid. No, I, I think I think working conditions have absolutely been reasons why people have gone on strike in the past. And would part of those working conditions be getting more money? I think part of those working conditions, and again, we're comparing 
industry to baseball, baseball. But again, I think coal miners would probably disagree with you when it came about working conditions and why they were striking. Maybe so. I, I, but I know most labor agreements ultimately come down to we do would like better conditions and we'd also like a little bit more of the pie uh, that is coming into the company because we are the ones digging the coal out the side of the mountain at the end of the day. A little different, I get it. It's baseball, but it's a business industry nonetheless. We've got to step aside. We've got more to come here. Uh, Kevin Knight, the Falcoholic, will join us when we return. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, not here. Ben Troop uh, in here on this Friday afternoon. Of course, the combine uh, going on there in Indianapolis uh, this week. The Atlanta Falcons, number eight overall in the draft, and a lot of things for them to look at. And uh, joining us here on the program from the Falcoholic, Kevin Knight joins us here on three and out. Kevin, welcome. How are you? Doing good, doing good. Happy to be on. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, man, appreciate you coming on and the, the, the combine going on. And for a team that needs a little bit of everything, it seems like at least through the, the drills, looking pretty deep at a lot of key positions that the Falcons could be interested in here. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, obviously quarterback is the most controversial opinion based on my Twitter, Twitter interactions over the past couple of days. But, uh, I mean, everything's on the table for them. I do think Terry Fontenot, the general manager, is serious about his best player available approach. I mean, looking back at the 2021 class, we saw them really focus on future-oriented picks. Um, but, yeah, in terms of positions, I mean, it, pretty much anything could be on the table. Kevin, I mean, how how pick, how much uh, could a guy like Terry Fontenot really be looking at this draft saying, look, dude, I mean, obviously you come in with a certain plan, but these it's like it seems like every position is trying to outdo the other position. It, is, it has been impressive across the board, uh, regardless of position this year. Yeah, it's it's really deep at a lot of positions, and that's a good thing for the Falcons, who also do have an additional second-round pick from the Julio Jones trade. But, um, I mean, at the top, at eight, it's, it's it's sort of one of those classes where there's like a few blue-chip guys. You know, everyone knows about Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, Kyle Hamilton, and then it's like a lot of really good players. So, I mean, to me, obviously, edge is the biggest need in terms of positional need. Um but I know there's been a lot of hype recently uh, for a cornerback because of the way the board might fall with guys like Sauce Gardner, Andrew Booth, uh, Derek Stingley possibly being there. Um, I mean, the guy for me that I'd always be hoping for would be Kyle Hamilton. But let's be honest, he's probably not going to be there at eight. So, you know, looking at those other players, you know, Devin Lloyd is someone that's some, somewhat of a sleeper. And then I'm a big fan of Malik Willis um, as a future-oriented pick. But uh, it really just depends. I mean, they've been very tight-lipped about their true intentions with that pick uh, and whether or not they're really considering the quarterbacks in this class is still sort of up in the air. Yeah, and Kevin, when you're talking about uh, Terry Fontenot, we've seen guys in the past for Atlanta obviously not be afraid to move up for offensive pieces and, and, and wide receivers. Uh, we've seen them do that uh, a number of times. How do you think the Falcons are approaching this? I know you said they've been uh, you know, kind of tight-lipped about it, but they literally seem like they could just take the best guy available on their board and it would be somebody that would help them win. Yeah, I think that's plan A, is to um, see what falls and then go after it. It's why, you know, despite a lot of fans sort of being against it, I think that they would consider Malik Willis, you know, if he is the best guy that's left there at that point. I don't think they're going to get aggressive in trading up for a quarterback or anything like that or any position, really, because that just doesn't seem like Fontenot's style as opposed to, like, a Dimitrov. But I think, 
a trade down would be something that Fontenot would really consider as well, because like we were saying, this is a very deep class, particularly at edge, at wide receiver, um, you know, two positions the Falcons really need. So I, I do think they'll strongly consider trading down if a quarterback is not the pick at eight. And, they, you know, the top guys like Hamilton's not there, Thibodeau, Hutchinson, those sorts of guys still aren't there. So I think obviously it takes two to tango with any sort of trade down, but um, I think that that'll be a, a top priority too because this roster, it just needs so much help. Um, so getting a couple extra day two picks, if you can, would go a long way. How much did Calvin Ridley's uh, absence last year really kind of affect the way Terry Fontenot and obviously uh, the Falcons going to this draft, knowing that while Kyle Pitts wasn't incredible last year, only one touchdown in the regular season and essentially became the number one receiver? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, it's tough with Kyle Pitts. Obviously, you see the overall production, and it's staggering in terms of a, a rookie tight end season. Um, you know, with the red zone, the whole Falcons offense was pretty poor in the red zone, and you could trace that back to a lot of things. A new scheme for Matt Ryan was part of it. Um, he traditionally tends to be a little bit lackluster in his first year of a new scheme. It was the same way under Kyle Shanahan, same way under Steve Sarkeesian. Um, but there also just weren't any complimentary players after Calvin Ridley stepped away. So it was really just Kyle Pitts as the primary guy. I mean, we would see him sometimes getting double or even triple teamed in the red zone. Um, and it was sort of up to other guys like Russell Gage, who did end up coming on strong towards the end of the season, having a very good year overall. But other than that, I mean, it was it was a barren cupboard at, in terms of the weapons, and then the offensive line was obviously a huge issue. And when you get down into the red area um, and you don't really have a dynamic receiving threat and your running game is, is poor outside of Cordero Patterson, um, there just weren't, there wasn't a lot to help Pitts get freed up. I do suspect that getting him more involved in the red zone is obviously a big part of their plans going forward. And I think improving the offensive line, run game, and, and adding some weapons, you know, just if you could do those, those couple of small things, you know, uh, you, could, you could definitely help Pitts unlock that part of his game a little bit more. Kevin Knight, the Falcoholic, joining us here on uh, 3 and Out. And, Kevin, you've mentioned quarterback a couple of times, kind of jokingly, uh, around this team. I know it's a topic of hot conversation with, with Matt Ryan, even Terry Fontenot and company are like, yeah, we love Matt. He's our guy, but if we see a guy, uh, where do you think the Falcons are here with, with quarterback? Because it seems like if you keep Matt Ryan, which they obviously have for this year, the goal is to try to win right now. And you're in a division minus Tom Brady that appears to be open. Would you wait? And I say maybe maybe it's not waste. Maybe that's a bad term. But would you use a first-round pick on a quarterback when you could take some other guys that could help you win right now, which if you're keeping Matt Ryan should be the goal, right? Yeah, it's it's been really sort of uh, interesting to see them, the the front office really try to straddle this line and, and refuse to sort of commit one way or the other to, like, we are actually going all in with Matt Ryan or we're building for the future. I mean, if you look at the draft last year and how they constructed the team, it certainly seemed to suggest that a future-focused uh, strategy was the goal. But again, they had no cap space last year and – I think, you know, the first year of a new regime, they're just sort of, it's an evaluation year. So, it, again, even looking at last year, it's hard to predict. But, I mean, I, I think it depends on their board. You know, I think if I'm a big fan of Malik Willis, I mean, I, I've been a fan of him for a long time. So, um, his strong play at the Senior Bowl in particular made me confident enough to be like, I think going to Atlanta would be the perfect situation for him. Arthur Smith's offense would work great for his skill set. They don't have to force him onto the field early. Uh, they can give him a year, maybe even two, if he absolutely needed it. Um, but I don't know if they like Willis like that. I'm sure I will never find out until we get to the draft and see if they actually take him at eight or not. Um, I know they do like Desmond Ritter. He was one of the first guys they talked to at the Senior Bowl. Uh, I know Arthur Smith's been a long time talking to Cincinnati's head coach. 
on the sideline in Mobile, and uh, you know I think there's a, there's a desire there as well. You know, Ritter has drawn comparisons to Tannehill coming out, so you know you would think that makes a lot of sense in terms of that skill set. Um, you know, I, I start to think that from a predictive standpoint, they're probably hoping someone falls to 43, which is their second round pick. Uh, you know, and Ritter is probably the one they want. I I just find it hard to believe that he'll be there, considering teams like the Steelers are allegedly interested in him, but. Um, you know, I think they're probably hoping to address it with a second round pick, but you know, I don't think it's off the table uh, for them to go after someone like Willis at eight. It's just, we just don't know. I mean, Kevin, I mean, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I guess like dream scenario, just say, I, I do think South Garden is going to be there at eight. I do think Derek Stingley Jr. is going to be there at eight. I hope that Kayvon Thibodeau is there at eight. If all three of those guys are still sitting there at eight, I mean, who do you think Terry Fondo goes with? I think it's it's uh, Thibodeau at that point. Um, I think the edge need is bigger because they have uh, Terrell. You know, Terrell is their cornerback one. I think they can cobble it together in the secondary. I mean, I I, I certainly would consider Sauce as well. I, I don't think they'll have him on their board above Thibodeau. Um, you know, and the one I'd be sort of dreaming for would be Kyle Hamilton. But again, you know, who knows? As a safety, who pulls the trigger? And if I mean, if they do, if no one pulls the trigger on Kyle Hamilton before eight, he's going at eight because I think Terry Fontenot is very serious about best player available. He will not care that uh, Hamilton's a safety, and he will he will get him. Kevin Knight, the Falcoholic, our guest here on 3 and Out. Kevin, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. And again, a lot of intrigue, as he said there, around that Atlanta Falcons pick there at number eight. We'll come back. Anthony Trace, Pro Football Focus, will join us. Combine going on. Who stood out at the Combine? Who's making themselves some money there at the Combine as well? And just how deep are some of these spots like the offensive tackles, which we could see go really early in this draft. Anthony Trace will join us next here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you along here 3 and Out on this Friday afternoon. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. The Combine uh, going on in Indianapolis and uh, joining us here on the program from PFF, Anthony Trace, joins us here on 3 and Out. Anthony, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Fantastic. What has uh, stood out, if anything? I know we had a lot of fast receiver times. Uh, what's kind of been the story early there at the Combine? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot going on, and, I mean, it's really only starting, right? I mean, we still have these three more days of drills. Really looking forward to those. But, you know, after, you know, the first day, definitely, of course, the receivers, the fast 40 times. I mean, a lot of those guys were flying. Um, you know, I think some guys really made themselves some money. You know, Christian Watson from North Dakota State is one in particular. Um, you know, I think Sky Moore, he did he did some good things. Three cone in pro agility weren't, you know, probably up to what expectations were. Um, but he still has the tape there, and he ran a quality 40. Um, and also Chris Olave. I mean, he kind of put himself there in that first-round conversation, um, you know, kind of solidified himself as a first-round pick. And when some people thought he was kind of friends before that, and, you know, I, I'm happy for him for that because I always thought he was a top-20 guy. So, I think he has a chance to go in that range now. And I think the biggest thing, though, you know, just from what I've been hearing, is you know, kind of involving the quarterbacks. Um, you know, Malik Willis, I, I thought he would be the first quarterback off the board coming in, but I wasn't sure if he was going to be a top-10 pick. But after just, you know, talking to some people over the last couple of days, I'm starting to get the feeling that, you know, he could go a really a lot quicker than, you know, most people think, right? And I wouldn't even rule him out, if, you know, number two overall. Um, you know, I'm not going to say that's going to happen, um, but I do think that Malik Willis I, I will go in the top ten, and I think we'll see him off the board really, really, really. 
Anthony, as a as a person about these quarterbacks of being, if just say a guy like Malik Williams, Malik Willis does go number two, or maybe you know as high as number six to the Carolina Panthers. Do you think because of how you know in love they get with these quarterbacks, because the guy goes a lot earlier than they thought, do you see like a bunch of quarterbacks end up going in the first round? Because at the end of the day, I mean, you can't go wrong if you end up you know uh, with a big time QB uh, you know coming out. Yeah, it's interesting, and I could see both cases. You know why we could see a run, why we wouldn't. Um, yeah, you know, I always thought that we would see a run, but you know, over the last couple of days, I'm just not sure we will. Um, and I think it's just a lot of hesitancy in question marks. You know, with everybody, you know, even Malik Willis has his own question marks, but he just has really fantastic tools, right? I mean, they're in elite territory, and that's why he's probably going to go in the top ten. Um, but after that, the next four all have some question marks there. Um, but I do think Sam Howell and Desmond Ritter really helped themselves to possibly put themselves in first-round conversation. I think they probably should be first-round picks. Um, Desmond Ritter, in my opinion, is the top quarterback prospect in this class. Um, and he's been interviewing very, really well. Um, you know, of course, had an exceptional um, combine on the field, put some really good times there, showed he's a dual threat. Um, and, and, you know, you look at Sam Howell, he's interviewed really well, too. Um, and, you know, teams have been impressed with him, too. So I, I think those those three quarterbacks, Malik Willis, Sam Howe, Desmond Ritter, I think they really helped themselves this week. Um, you know, Kenny Pickett, on the other hand, I, I don't think he did as much. Um, you know, I think the hand size thing in almost every situation, I, I would say up until this point, in every situation, it was widely overblown. But in this case, I mean, this is a pretty significant issue, I would say. I mean, NFL football is bigger. You know, it, he's looking at his hands, eight and a half inches, about half an inch less than any other quarterback in the NFL right now. So, I mean, I think it's going to be a tough situation for him, you know, playing outdoors at times. We've seen that throughout Pitt. And, you know, I, I think also, too, look at the way his game's kind of been, you know, played at Pitt. I think it's going to be tough for him to translate to the next level. Um, and I do think that he's been kind of, you know, continuously falling over the last couple of months. Um, you know, in Matt Corral, too, you know, he did come in a little bit bigger than expected, but he still is a little bit smaller. And teams are going to be afraid, um, you know, of that offense that he was in at Ole Miss I and mean, how long it's going to take him to kind of adjust to an NFL offense. So I think right now I would say three quarterbacks will go in round one, maybe four. Um, you know, but whereas before, you know, I came here, I, I thought we'd see at least five. You know, those get five guys off the board in the first 32. Anthony Trace, PFF, joining us here on three and out. And you talk about the guys at the top of the draft, those offensive tackles. Obviously, it would appear Jacksonville probably going to go somewhere uh, along that offensive line to help protect uh, Trevor Lawrence. How deep are those guys uh, obviously they look very impressive uh, talking to folks and then standing up there, but uh, Neil, Aquambu, how do you kind of rate those guys out and how deep are uh, the, the prospects there along that offensive line? Yeah, really deep. I mean, there's a lot of quality guys there and definitely Jacksonville is eyeing an offensive tackle there. Um, you know, Iki Aquanu is getting some hype recently. I mean, he's shifted in the, the betting market significantly from nine to one down to four to one to be the first overall pick. And, you know, I've heard that, they, you know, he's very much in the conversation. You know, they like, you know, Icky Kwanu just as much as they like Evan Neal. And it's going to be a tough decision for him. So, of course, there's a possibility that we could see a Kwanu as the first guy off the board. Um, you know, I think, too, you, you speak about the, about the depth and you look at some of the guys that are still going to be there and, you know, towards the end of round one. I mean, Bernhard Ryman is one in particular from Central Michigan. I, I think he's an exceptional talent, one that's really not talked about enough. And I think he should probably go, you know, 10 picks sooner than what he will. Um, at the end of that first round. So, you know, the, this tackle class has loaded with depth. And, you know, at the top there, it gets really interesting because, you know, I think teams are going to have a tough decision to make. Well, I mean, mainly the Jacksonville Jaguars with Evan Neal, with Aki Aquano, and even Charles Cross from Mississippi State, who, I mean, who I think was the most improved tackle 
um, this past season. I mean, his movement skills are exceptional. Um, and, and so it's going to be interesting to see where everybody kind of shakes out. But, you know, I do think we'll, there is a good chance that we do see three tackles off the board within the first six picks. Um, you know, Carolina definitely wants a tackle. Um, you know, they really want to bolster that offensive line, and understandably so. I mean, it was really, you know, poor last year. So I'm expecting them to go tackle, as I am with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, you know, I think we could see another one fall in there, possibly to the Giants as well. So, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see where everything kind of shakes out. Anthony, I mean, as you mentioned, it's already been in, incredibly impressive when you think about the wide receivers, think about the tight ends, I mean, you think about the quarterbacks. But what what are you looking forward to going into the weekend? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing these TBs test. I think they're going to put up some incredible numbers. You know, I think last night there for, you know, I was out to dinner and we were watching the combine on the phone, and then all of a sudden these 45s, they just keep coming in, and we were freaking out, and we are like, this is incredible. And, of course, some of them got adjusted, but I do think, we're going to see that and then some with the DBs. Um, you know, one player in particular that I'm looking at is Daxton Hill. Um, you know, he played the slot for Michigan this past year, was exceptional in that, produced very well, has been a top 10 graded player um, in the slot over the last couple of years. And, you know, looking at what he did in high school at the opening event, I mean, he clocked a 4-3 flat 40, and you know, I think it was a 43.6-inch vertical. Um, I mean, he was in high school. I think he's going to test exceptionally well. Um, Kalen Barnes, the cornerback from Baylor, I think he's going to run an ultra-fast 40, maybe the fastest 40 of the weekend. Um, and then there's a ton of others there um, that I'm excited to see. So I'm really looking forward to the DBs. I'm really looking forward to every single group. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, even the, the very deep edge group. I, I think, you know, mainly Jermaine Johnson, I know there's been question marks about his feeling from an athleticism perspective, maybe not up to the level of some in this class, but I still think he's going to test well. So I'm really excited for every single day. But the DBs, that's the group I circled when I was coming in. Anthony Trache, PFF, our guest here on 3 and Out as the Combine, as he said, rolls right on into the weekend. Anthony, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Of course. Thank you. Appreciate it. Anthony Trache joining us here has been the, the Combine going on, and it's kind of different from a lot of other events where people kind of view the NFL as like, you gear up, you gear up. You, this thing goes right in through the weekend and around. I think the, the DBs and, uh, and, and the secondary folks are out there on Monday even uh, doing their workouts. So this is one of those things where people, uh, usually it's like the, the, the NFL likes to have the, the big to-do on like a Friday, maybe a Saturday afternoon. This thing's going on uh, all week and into the weekend and the start of next week. Yeah, Kevin, I mean, and it's only getting crazier, right? Like, I mean, remember, you were, what, what was it, well, a week removed that they, uh, all the agents were saying they was going to boycott and none of the players was going to play. I mean, think about it. I mean, certain guys have said, Derek Singler Jr. said, I'm, I'm going to boycott, I'm not going to do it, but we forget. Look, when one man won't do another man with you, it's kind of what you said about MLB. Oh, you don't want to take that spotlight? Well, I'm going to jump in there and go ahead and get my shine because we're going to worry about the guys that did do it. And when you think about it, it gives a guy who's not a big name but got invited a chance to go out there and really show what he can do. But, Kevin, it, it has been impressive. I mean, I mean, you're talking about Desmond Ritter, ran a 4-4. You talk about, you're talking about Chris Olave for Ohio State, ran a 4-2-6. I think, I think uh, and I'm not going to butcher his name, uh, one of the most impressive, the big tight end out of Maryland, man, ran a four five two, and when he got done, he went like this. He like, are they still sleeping on me? I mean, it's a ch- it's kind of it's a chance for you to go out there and really like, you know, show off what you can do. Because certain guys, Kevin, unfortunately, certain guys aren't good athletes, but they're great football players. Certain guys are great athletes, aren't good football players. Certain guys are both, and you want to be able to show up. But so far, so good, man. Malik Willis, as you mentioned, throwing the rock. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry, Kenny Pickett, that your hands ain't big enough. I think that kind of stuff is ridiculous. He's been able to do all these. I think that kind of stuff is crazy. I was gonna say, I, I, I was gonna bring it up to you later in the show, but to go ahead now since you brought it up. I mean, 
when some and again, maybe there is something to be said, like, hey, it's harder to grip the football, whatever, and that leads to this, that, what have you. But when you hear something like that, and I know you have said, look, I've been the guy that people have said kind of weird stuff about like, oh, the shoulders don't look like this, or why didn't your elbow bend this way? And so like when you hear like, oh, he's got eight and a half inch hands, and that's like a half inch shorter than anybody else in the league and and all that. What what goes through your mind when you hear like that level of eval going on? Have we are we overdoing it or does that have some real kind of metric to it? If I'm a, if I'm a team that wants him, I want to hear it all day. I want y'all to just get as far away from the dude as possible because I want to get him. And if if you start talking about evaluations, I just think some of it is ridiculous. I mean, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Cam Newton, these dudes ain't ready. And what is going on since they got Kevin? You know, just like I know, all you need is one. It's 32 opportunities. I need one of them to take a chance on me and see what happens. And guess what? I'm pretty sure that since college is over. He has been using an NFL football. No more stripes on each end, right? <laughs> and it looks like he was throwing the ball pretty well. It's almost like you're trying to – I told you, Kevin, you're trying to find every reason to say he's not that guy. Look at what he did for Pitt last year. So you telling me because the ball get a little bigger? Well, the players are getting bigger. The players are getting faster. The players are getting stronger. He's still one of the guys that got, that got invited to the combine. Somebody's going to get him, and his little hands is going to be throwing a lot of touchdowns, and then what they going to say then? I, hey, I understand. It's, it's just weird to hear it when you when you you start getting that into the weeds on some of the details on these guys. What teams will throw up as a, a potential red flag? We got more to come here on three and out coming up uh, next hour. Obviously, continue to look at the uh, the combine. We'll also hear from Connor Riley, Dog Nation. George is well represented there. Matt Smith, uh, SouthernPigskin.com will join us in the final hour. Look at some SEC spring lines, uh, spring storylines, I should say as well. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Welcome back to Three and Out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad to have you along on this Friday. We'll take three coming up right around the corner. Connor Riley of Dog Nation will join us next hour as well, and we'll talk about uh, Georgia there at the Combine. But, uh, Ben, uh, coming out uh, today, we did see the MLB players. I think MLB is going to do it too, but the Players Association set up a $1 million fund for MLB and stadium workers who will be affected by the lockout. Obviously, if there's no MLB, there's nobody that needs to come to the stadium and do some of those things. So Players Association is setting up a $1 million fund to support uh, those folks. So uh, a good deed there. I know MLB uh, is doing something as well. I, I did see one person say, but you're MLB. Aren't you supposed to be paying, <laughs> helping pay those folks by, you know, having games uh, anyway? But uh, anyways, that's neither here nor there. But uh, again, good to see that, that folks, because that was one thing saying, look, while the players and owners squabble it out, there's a lot of people that are going to be feeling the residuals of this thing. Yeah, I, I don't celebrate that. I don't. I don't usually give PAs in any, whether that's MLB PA, NFL PA, NBA PA. But Kevin, I mean, sometimes you just get it right, right? Sometimes you understand that. Look, I mean, the magnitude of this thing is only growing, and a million dollars. Why that's why that's a lot of money. I don't know how. I don't know how far that's going to stretch. When you talk about how many people you could potentially be, but I give the PA a lot of credit, man. I think the MLBPA is trying to really reshape their reputation. Kevin, because let's face it, up until now, they've been a pushover. I mean, just like most PAs. I mean, they don't have a lot of, they don't have a lot of, you know, uh, stripes on the wall, but I give them a lot of credit trying to do the right thing. Hopefully that million becomes two and three because you got, you get a bunch of entities putting money in the pot, that pot could grow because I think that media is going to go real quick. But I but I do give credit when credit is due, so I do appreciate what they're doing. I appreciate what they're doing, Ben. I would actually say I hope that million doesn't need to go to two or three and they can just 
come to a deal and people can go back to work, right? I mean, that's the uh, at the at the end of the day, that's what we're all hoping for. But uh, yeah, saw that and wanted to mention that before we had to step aside here at the top of the hour. We'll come back. We'll take three. A uh, big weekend in college basketball. Uh, we'll look at the NFL Combine this weekend. Connor Riley, Dog Nation, set to join us uh, coming up in hour number two as well. Hit us up on Twitter. Love to hear from you at Pigskin Radio. We're streaming live as well at ESPNCoastal.com. Good to have you back here, three and out on this Friday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. So much to get to here in this second hour. We'll hear from Connor Riley of Dog Nation in just a little bit. We'll also get the latest from the Combine coming up uh, in this hour as they just gotten underway the last couple of days, and we'll go all the way back around through Monday. So a lot to get to there this hour as well. But what we like to do every every day at this time, we like to take three. We'll do that now here on 3 and Out as we bring in Ben Troop. Ben, we take three. Take one, Coach K. His final home game for Duke. On Saturday against North Carolina, the tickets I read going for like $6,000 to get in to watch uh, Duke, North Carolina, and Coach K's final game there at Cameron Indoor. Is he the greatest college basketball coach? Yes, Kevin. And uh, and obviously, I mean, you know, you got guys, you know, Coach Thompson, Bobby Knight. I mean, you, you, you got some great coaches. I'm not But I just think, Kevin, when you talk about consistency, right, check. We talk about championship check, but look at how much he's meant to college basketball. Number one, Duke is the New York Yankees of, of, of college, but you can't either hate them or you cannot stand them. But he's the standard, right? Coach K has been the standard at a, at a, at a place like Duke to where, you know, obviously got UNC right down Tobacco Road. But I just think, like, Kevin, think about it. He's the type of guy to where he, most people have never seen him coach, but they know who he is. Most people, most people have never, you know, really talked to him or interviewed him, know where he coaches. And I think to be able to transcend the sport, because he's transcended it. I mean, does, doesn't he got a freaking arena or something on campus named after him? I mean, they got stuff named after him, and he's actively a coach. And he's been there so long, Kevin, it's going to be hard to imagine college basketball without him, right? Even though this is last year, so I would say he's the best. And that's, and listen, that's taking nothing away from guys that have done it at a consistent level, but I don't know if one man has meant more to not just his university, but to the game he coached than a coach did. Yeah, I will I will put Mike Krzyzewski at two. I'll put John Wooden at one. Yeah, I am about to say John Wooden's up there. He yeah, is. so I, 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 so I would make John Wooden one. Uh, again, you won like, what, 88 games in a row? That's insane. Like, if, like Gonzaga, everybody thought that was awesome last year. Like, Gonzaga hadn't lost. They lost the national championship. And it's like, you got Kareem. Yeah, they go, they went twice that and then some uh, in in that winning streak uh, back in the day. Yeah, you had uh, what, Bill Walton in there too? It's like, yeah, you got to had a whole bunch of guys that were helping you do it. But I would put uh, John Wooden one and Mike Krzyzewski, as you said, you either love him or you can't stand him. Uh, there, he is number two. And what he has meant to Duke basketball uh, and, and college basketball, I think, is uh, immeasurable. Again, even if you, you, you don't like him or you do, uh, you know who he is. You know what he's meant to the game of, uh, of basketball. And, and, Ben, they always say you don't want to be the guy who follows the guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. I know uh, that, that may not uh, be too much fun there in, uh, in Duke next year. But, look, I think it's going to be what? Is it Kyle Singler who, who's, who's going to take it? I'm trying to think who yeah. they, who they, uh, they named to take over there for Coach K. Those are some enormous, enormous shoes to fill taking over that job. You'd 
Don't know if you want to be the guy following the guy. You want to be the next guy. Uh, come after that uh, to, to take over for Coach K. All right, moving along. Take two. You must take a quarterback in this draft, Ben, to be your starter for the next decade. So you're taking them. Whether they're good or bad, they're going to be your quarterback for the next decade. That's what you're drafted on. Who are you taking? I'm taking Malik Willis. I think, Kevin, when you think about a guy like Malik Willis, right, think about this. Okay. You know, he didn't go to a big-time school. He went to Liberty, right? He he boosted the profile of, of the school that he went to with a coach that had a lot of controversy behind his name and Hugh Freeze. All he did is went out there and got it done year in and year out. And, Kevin, I'm sorry, but I want the dude who you're making up stuff about. I mean, the young man interviewed well. He said, listen, man, I'm doing it. I'm doing it for an audience of one. I don't worry about what people, <coughs> people say about me. I just go out there and get it done. And I'm looking at a track record of players who had that controversy and how, they, how their careers ended up. I mean, Cam Newton, regardless of how you feel about him, had a pretty good career uh, 10 years when he was with, the, when he was with the, um, the Panthers. I mean, we think Lamar Jackson is still being written. I mean, the old Russell Wilson still look good. Kyler Murray, if he could just stop tripping, he's looking good. Old Eli Manning look So I, I, I do think that Kevin sometimes, you know, I do think it's more smoke and mirrors. I think Malik Willis is built for it. But if I had a 1B, I think it's Desmond Ritter. Because Cincinnati, right? No one thought they was going to make it to the college football playoff. I mean, they just went out there and went undefeated. Desmond Ritter has everything to do with it, take nothing away from his teammates, Kobe Bryant and Sauce Walker. And, I mean, Sauce Garden and those guys. But, I mean, you know, uh, Makai Sanders and those guys. So, Malik, I just think that for me, oh, Kevin, give me Malik Willis because a guy that said I didn't have to go to the Alabamas, to the Ohio State, to the Georgias, and so on, and I'm still one of the top quarterbacks, which proves if you are good enough, they will find you. Give me Malik Willis for the next 10 years. And again, this is a quarterback class that, uh, again, maybe not as deep as some we've seen in years past. That's why I asked the question because I know a lot of people like Malik Willis, but a lot of people would say Desmond Ritter might be the better kind of athletic quarterback out there that might be able to do a few more things uh, at the quarterback position, but I think it's shaping up to be Malik Willis would be the guy you would take. And that's to take nothing away from Kenny Pickett, take nothing away from Matt Corral, take nothing away from some of these guys. It just appears that the guy that has the most tools that you feel the the best about gambling on, and as you've said a number of times, Ben, you take a quarterback in the draft, it's a gamble now because they can look great in college and you just don't know uh, when you get to the uh, to the National Football League. But I think, yeah, I would be right there with you and Malik Willis. All right, moving along. Take three, ahead of March Madness, and we'll have major conference tournaments uh, starting next week in in college basketball. Which college basketball conference do you think is the best or the deepest heading into March? Ooh, <clears throat> wow. I think I think the best conference this year might be might be the SEC. They might be a little bit better, but Kevin, the deepest is always is always the ACC because they beat up on each other so bad throughout the course of the year, right? Like, yes, I know Jabari Smith, uh, guard for uh, Auburn, is potentially going to be the number one overall pick this year. You know, uh, Bruce Pearl is doing an incredible job. But come on, Kevin, let's, let's call it what it is. <clears throat> the hardest basketball the hardest basketball conference in America is the ACC. It just, it just is. I mean, you got Duke, you got Virginia. You got Normally, Northern I would agree. I don't think this year it is, though. I don't think this year it is, though. Yeah, yeah but this is the thing, too, right? You say the SEC is the deep. Rightfully so. Okay. How deep are they going to go? Excuse me. In, in, in. Oh, I'm sitting there having a freaking wound. A bunch of shit. Hold on for a second. Hold on. Hold on. All right. Now, I, right I, will, uh, I will say, 
uh, Ben, that I, I look at it, I think you could make a case for a number of conferences. The SEC is an intriguing one. You've got uh, Auburn, Kentucky, uh, Tennessee in the top 15. I think Arkansas is right there in the top 15. You could make a case for them. I think the ACC is a little down. I think the Pac-12 is interesting. I think the Big 12 is interesting uh, from some of the uh, the teams that they have out there. Right now, I think the Big 10 uh, could be interesting uh, with what they have. But I will say right now, the deepest might be the Pac-12. To me, they've got a little bit uh, more. They don't have maybe all the, the best teams, although Arizona's up there at number two. But they are deep. Uh, USC, UCLA, I think you can see a number of those teams deep into the Sweet 16 where you look around and say, man, maybe the, uh, the, the Pac-12 has half the teams uh, in – or half the teams in the Elite Eight, or four or five teams in the Sweet 16, maybe more than any other power conference. So I'm going to go and say the Pac-12 best deepest conference right now, but I think the SEC has been trying to make a case for most of the season. But ACC, I would say normally this year, I think the ACC kind of down. They just don't have as many really good teams uh, as they normally do. I think they only have a couple of teams in the top 25. Uh, and I think maybe even only four in the re- total count in the top 25 and others receiving votes. So you're talking about a conference, the ACC, that prides itself on being an eight- or nine-bid league, and I don't think they've got those teams this year that just make you go, whoa. Uh, so I'm not going to play on the ACC. I'm going to say the Pac-12 deepest heading into the tournament. I mean, it might be, Kevin. I mean, you might be right, but I just think that the the, the gauntlet of the ACC, right? Isn't, isn't Georgia Tech, wasn't they regular season ACC champions last year? And I think, and I thought, or tournament champions or something like that. I just think that sometimes, Kevin, we just expect the ACC to be loaded. And when it's not, it's only not as good. No, dude, like every team has ebbs and flows. Is Kentucky good this year? Yes. Is Auburn good this year? Yes. Is Tennessee good this year? Yes. But but guess what? Are those teams going to be around when it matters? Probably not. I mean, I don't know. I think that's what, if you're the SEC, you hope it's somebody, I mean, you'd hope maybe Kentucky, but can Auburn be a team that shows up there at the Final Four? They've been one of the top teams in the country, and I do think, Ben, what you just said is an interesting kind of detractor to the SEC in basketball. It's like, we've seen runs before outside of teams not named Kentucky. I mean, Florida had their little run, and they've mm-hmm. kind of fallen back. Uh, have, have not been heard from since. Yeah, so. and so I think you look at it and say, Kentucky makes sense. But who, when you see an Alabama or when you see an Auburn, who, when we see a team like a Tennessee or an Arkansas, who's there that's going to make that Elite Eight Final Four run? I don't know. I, I don't know. It's, it's like a believe it when you see it kind of thing, I guess, with some of those teams moving into the NCAA tournament. That's take three. We do it each and every day at this time. So much to get to uh, this hour. Look at the NFL Combine uh, this weekend. Also, Connor Riley, uh, Dog Nation, will join us. We'll look at the Georgia players specifically at the Combine. And, Ben, we talked about it from the jump. You talk about Jordan Davis saying he played most of last year at 360 and gonna move and he was still moving around pretty good and gonna move down to 330 pounds in the National Football League. That is a scary proposition. We'll get to that a little bit later this hour as well. This is three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you are with us here on this Friday. We'll chat with Connor Riley, Dog Nation, coming up here in just a little bit. 14 Georgia Bulldogs there at uh, the Combine, and uh, he will join us next segment. But, uh, Ben, you, you get to the draft, and we talked about it earlier, where you just get overanalyzed on everything. I, what do you think about when you hear guys say, oh, Kenny Pickett, eight-and-a-half-inch hands? I mean, obviously, your team go, oh, I mean, have we seen guys with big hands that can't throw the football? I'm sure we have. I mean, 
when you see stuff like that, Baker Mayfield's, uh, was it him or Johnny Manziel's shoulders were too square? I mean, what were some of the stuff? I mean, do you hear that stuff when you're there? I mean, when you're standing up there and they start measuring your hands and you start doing wingspan, you're like, do you start hearing people going, man, they start hearing the whispers? Do you have guys saying, man, they thought your hands or your vertical jump would be a little bit more than it was? Do you hear that stuff while you're there? You do. You do. And unfortunately, Kevin, I mean, it affects you. Uh, the thing about the thing about the combine is this is where you nitpick every single thing. And let's and let's just call it what it really is. This is the age of social media to where everything comes out now. You know, the, the, the world of retweets and you know, commenting on every single thing and I quote tweeting and all this, but it's it just comes with it. It's for it's listen, it's for the next four days. Right now it's 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 in the public uh eye, Kevin, because right now the combine is going on. After the combine, it might come up during the, during some pre-draft process. I mean, some pre-draft uh, conversation, maybe with you know, uh, you know, with uh, Mache, or, or maybe you know, uh, you know, I just think that uh, you know, Mel Kiper. But if you are Kenny Pickett, if you are a Malik Willis, if you are a Desmond Ritter, if you are a player that's being scrutinized more than you should, welcome to the NFL. They all—it's almost like they're preparing you. For what you're gonna deal with at, at at certain positions, because you know, depending on what team you go to, depending on how profile it is, depending on what type of market you go to, you're gonna have to deal with that. And I think that that's why I always tell people, Eli Manning to me, what made him who he was was not that he won two Super Bowls. He had to deal with that New York media. He was talked about every day. So right, wrong, and different, Kevin. It just comes with it. I think most players, you want to know what they built like, but. We talking about genetics, right? I mean, we go back to the smidgen under six five Josh Allen. How did that turn out coming out of Wyoming? So I think it's much to do with nothing, Kevin, because I think I think the team that's in love with you, they hope that nobody else even asks for your number. Like, oh, please don't don't even court him, don't try to date him, don't try to do anything. Because I, I think I, I always think I, every year with the combine, I'd be looking for the most ridiculous thing. You know, what type of animal would you be? <laughs> what type of boat? What's your favorite? What's your favorite food? If it's late night snack, what do you want? Are you getting fruit? Are you getting popcorn? I said, I'm getting what's in my refrigerator. That's what I'm getting. I, and, 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 I, and I think that looking back on it, it is ridiculous, but you have to deal with this stuff. Like, you know, I mean, if your hands are nine and a half inches, they say, you know, stretch them out a little bit more. Look, man, I can catch the ball. I can throw the football. I can block. I can run. I can. And I just think that. You know, people think that, hey, man, how ridiculous can the combine be? Oh, yeah, listen, this is and this is only the stuff that gets out. It, you notice the only thing that comes out are from the high profile players. Could you imagine what a guy who might not even get drafted is being asked? Think about him. A guy that didn't go to a P5 that we don't really know who he is. If they if they doing Kenny Pickett like this, the guy, the last quarterback that got an invite. Oh, my God. They probably asked him what they said. Listen, man, you got to Pink shirt, yellow shirt, green shirt, go. Like what? Like like what are we talking about? But Kevin, that that's what it is. I mean, right now, right? Remember when the draft was two days? Now it's three days. It's gonna end up being each day. It's gonna have its own day. I mean, you're gonna have seven days worth of draft coverage, and that's and and we gonna tune in for every day. But hey, man, welcome to the combine. Welcome, welcome, listen, welcome, welcome to the freak show. You know, to where hey, man, it's it's a meat market. You got guys walking around in boxer briefs. Saying I think he got too much hair on his chest. I, I, it's it's crazy, but Kevin, you know just like I know, if you're going to invest in something that could potentially be your face for the next ten years, I want to know every single thing about you. I, I mean, I, that's that's fair enough. I just when when you see stuff like that, it's like, 
okay, so Kenny Pickett's hands aren't as big as you think. Like, what's he going to do about that? You know, that, that's, that, 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 that's one of those things where it's like, hey, you're not I'm as strong be, as I'm we thought you were. Okay, I can fix surgery. that maybe. Yeah. You know, I can fix that, but my, my hands are not big at all. Like, there's nothing I can do uh, about some of that stuff. I did uh, see you were tweeting about the, the guys running last night at wide receiver spot. I mean, you had, what, eight guys? Yes. Sub 4-4. Four, four. That, uh, that is blazing. And, uh, again, it's straight line. It's no pads. But still, you have eight guys that are picking them up and setting them down. Sub 4-4 four, four guys that uh, at a premium spotlight wide receiver where everybody is hunting speed out there. George Pickens to me is probably the most impressive being a guy that missed the entire year, you know, for the, for the Georgia Bulldogs to come out there, what, 200 pounds running a 4-4-0-40. That's impressive. I mean, that is because he hasn't played football in a while. He's full goal for the, for the combine. You know, he was going to be a, 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 you know, a full participant because he, he really, he's not in the position to be saying, Hey man, I'm waiting my pro day. Cause they're going to be thinking that maybe he has more of a lingering injury, but all of them were, it's a bunch of guys that were impressive. And let me say y'all this. I know these receivers got y'all thinking, oh, man, anybody can run a 4-3. No, 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 no. Bunch of receivers. About 8-9 of them ran 4-3, 4-4, some 4-2s. Chris Olave, young man, you you should have just ran on out. 4-2-6, just keep running. Just don't stop. Just run. Go go, go back. Go change clothes. Go shower. Go back to the – but I'm happy for all of them, Kevin. I think that it's showing that, hey, man, the most elite athletes on the field, they play on the outside. Cornerbacks, like you notice that the receivers go first. To show those DBs what they're gonna be dealing with, <laughs> and you know Prime is coming. They done call Jackson State a Prime. You think you can come up here, man? I'm I'm here. So the DBs gonna be last, right? Save the best for last. Michael Urban out there with a, with an extra medium shirt on, uh, you know, tucked in because we got to show he been lifting. But hey, man, Kevin, some of these guys are impressive. A lot, some of the tight ends, Isaiah Likely look really, really impressive out of Coastal Carolina catching the football. These guys came to compete, and. You know, fortunately, if you're on the roster now and you you got millions next to your name and you got a you got a rookie that's 21 that's putting up those type of numbers, don't buy that new house. <laughs> want to rent it? Don't buy a check because you might have to be changing. You know, you might you might be changing our locations here soon. Yeah, and again, it's it is interesting as you said, where some some numbers just pop uh, out at the combine where he's like, hey, four two, as you said, you almost don't need to do anything else uh, at that point. If you got the college tape, you're obviously good enough to. Come to the combine. You drop a four two. As you said, let me just go talk to some teams, and I'll be on my way. Uh, at the end of the day, and I think we've seen some of that with the with the bench press, where it's like, hey, at some point you're just showing off, right? You, you see those guys. Was it Vita Vey? Oh. We're just sitting there. It's like, I oh, just keep going. You want me to keep going? Like, am I good? <laughs> you know, uh, some of those guys yeah. like you five more four. Like I'm, like, I'm good. So, but they just stand out, and make you go wow. But Man, I, you look at the 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 ultimate evaluation, and uh, I know we used to get on to uh, uh, Al Davis. He was in love with speed and and things of that nature. To me, uh, the speed compliments the player. We've seen Chris Olave at uh, at Ohio State do what he he can do. I'm interested to see how some of these other guys who maybe we haven't seen as much tape on who who put up some big big time forties, uh, what they can do when obviously guys are trying to jam you at the line, guys are trying to disrupt your route. Can you still get back up to that kind of speed? and run by people because as you know ben you don't run by people in the national football league jalen uh you know jalen ramsey it happened one time in the playoffs right? like, oh, like, and, 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 yeah, he, he got his helmet ripped off yeah. in the super bowl like, ain't nobody even called thing. yeah what, what what happened the other 37 times when we lined up you you didn't go anywhere you you didn't get by me so uh to me that's the fun part of watching the combine and how it kind of evolves and uh, what some of these guys are going to be able to go out there and uh, and put up but as you've seen it go so far i mean obviously the wide receivers have been a impressive group does that make you feel better 
if you're a, a Falcons fan about this draft, knowing, hey, so far, offensive line guys have looked really good. In terms of uh, you know coming off the walking off the walking off the bus, the wide receivers. There's four or five guys that have put up really good numbers thus far. Makes you feel like you have some choice there at number eight, and it's not just well we'll see who falls. No, when it could be a situation we talked to what with it with Kevin Knight earlier. When it gets to eight, you might actually have some some choices, not just be like well that's the best guy we're going to take him. It could be like, oh there's two or three guys that we really like. Let's take the one we want. Uh, look, shaping up to be a pretty deep draft, especially in some some big areas. Yeah, and uh, Kevin, I mean, if you Terry Fontenot, you that's what you want. You want to be able to say, okay, there's a guy we coveted. That's a guy that everybody wants at the position. But you go, hey, man, O-line is deep. Yeah. Quarterback's deep. Wide receivers are deep. Calvin Ridley is no longer going to be a Falcon next year, especially with what? I think he got, what, $12, $14 million up against the Cap. He, there's no way they're going to bring him back for that much money. Kyle Pitts kind of worked out for us last year. Um, we know that we got a chance to win the division if we can get one. Matty Ice up, right? Get us some offensive help. Well, I mean, you know what's helping these receivers? Justin Jefferson. I mean, Jamar Chase. These boys coming out ready. So this notion of, oh, you got to give him a year. So Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and you know Traylon, you know Tray- Traylon Burks, these boys can come in ready to go right now because you know they're gonna feed him a rock. How do you get a guy ready to throw him the ball? What what do you say on any given Sunday, uh, Kevin? How much you pay that three hundred pound blocker? Let him block. <laughs> Put him out there and let's see. But if you Terry Fondo, it makes your decision easier because let's face it, as long as Terry Fondo is gonna be the GM, uh. For the Falcons, he's gonna be drafting a lot of offensive guys. Cause that's what that's what Atlanta's known for. But yeah, I, I think he's in a good situation. Now, if he gets if he gets a quarterback, now can we woke gonna be like, what? Like, <laughs> really? You know, but O line, the D lineman, they they about to be up next. I know, I know the Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau, those guys about to be up next, but yeah. So far, so good. Most of these, most of these uh, position groups have been very, very impressive. Yeah, Ben, I'm, I'm trying to think because I, I know that's been a, a point that everybody's talked about, and I'm trying to see your things. Like, is there a quarterback in this draft that if he was there, like I couldn't pass on? I don't think there is. Like, knowing I have Matt Ryan, like I, I don't think there's a quarterback that I'm willing to go ahead and draft. You know, forgetting about all the other stuff that I need in this draft. Like, I, I would even say if it's Malik Willis, if he's there at eight, and I'm the Falcons, I. I'm still probably not taking him because, again, if you do that, what? Why did you keep Matt Ryan around, right? Why, and I know you can say, well, he can look. No, you drafted a quarterback number eight. Go, you, you decided to keep Matt Ryan over Julio Jones. Go get Matt Ryan some help and try to win this thing, uh, because windows are small, windows are tight yeah. uh, in the National yeah. Football League in terms of chances to go out there and win. You decided to keep Matt Ryan. Why'd you keep him? Let him go play quarterback to kind of steal what you just said and give him the opportunity to go out there and get you in the playoffs uh, next season. We got more to come. Speaking of the Combine, Connor Riley, Dog Nation, will join us. There's a lot of UGA guys walking around there in Indianapolis. We'll break it down with him next here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you along here, 3 and Out on this Friday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. Busy week in Indianapolis at the Combine. Busy weekend Upcoming at the Combine as well. A lot of George Bulldogs uh, going to be on hand there. Uh, ben Troop, 14 
uh, making their way through Indianapolis here to help us uh, with all of that and who could be looking at some big paydays. Connor Riley, Dog Nation, joins us here on 3 and Out. Connor, welcome to the show. How are you? Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Doing great. Uh, seems like George is making news every day up there at the Combine with how many guys they have up there. Yeah, I know, and I know George Pickens turned a lot of heads last night with his 40. I mean, how much of George Pickens and the NFL interest, I mean, there was going to be some anyway, but how much is that increasing day by day with, with every workout he does and everything he was able to do at the Combine showing that he's healthy? Yeah, I, I think he pretty clearly solidified himself at worst as, I think, a second-round pick there with how he tested athletically. I think for those who follow Georgia, 447 for Georgia is a great time. Uh, I think for in comparison to some of the other first round receivers, I think if that was, you know, in that right at four four range or even maybe four three nine, I think it really would have opened some doors for him to getting into the first round because there's not a ton of separation between, say, the fourth best receiver and say the seventh best receiver. And so I think for George, what yesterday really showed for him is even a year out from his knee injury, he's an incredible physical specimen. And I think anyone who watched him and watches his tape knows he's a much better football player than he necessarily is an athlete. And so when he's able to test the way he did yesterday, I think that's a very encouraging sign for his future. And I think even if he doesn't end up going in the first round because of the depth of wide receiver in this class, I think he's going to make an NFL team very, very happy when he is selected in April. Connor, the one thing that stood out uh, thus far with all these Georgia guys, every time they get interviewed, they keep on talking about how Georgia prepared them, you know, for this moment. They they they, they treat us like it's an NFL, you know, environment. That's I mean, I seen Devontae White saying those those type of things. Just talk about how much they're embracing what Kirby Smart is selling at the universe. Yes, they finally got over the hump with the with the national championship, but no one's making them get up there on these podiums saying these type things. They're not on. They're not on uh, Kirby Smart's, you know, uh, you know, a list as far as like a pay, you know, a pay list. Talk about just how those guys are up there really selling the program in Athens. Yeah, I, I think it speaks to the culture that Kirby Smart has built, where these guys know and understand that what they've done at Georgia for the last three, four, in some cases, five years has really prepared them for this moment and prepared them for the NFL. They understand the rigors and the physicality that comes with not just you know playing the SEC, but doing it at an NFL-type level. And so when you have 14 guys going to the combine, tying the record for the most ever sent by a single school, it clearly shows that you're doing something right in terms of developing NFL talent or at least having sort of an NFL-like atmosphere around your program. And so I think you know they understand whereas some other programs are more star-driven, they are more, you know, top echelon guys. At Georgia, you've got to earn it. You've got to work in practice. You know, dirty hard work in the dark is a phrase this team has really adopted this past year, and I think that shows up. I mean, look at some of the guys that are going to be first-round picks potentially for Georgia. I mean, obviously, the Kobe Dean, Trayvon Walker, those guys were five-stars coming out of high school, but Jordan Davis was a three-star that a lot of people in the recruiting industry thought was going to be an offensive tackle at the collegiate level. Devontae Wyatt went to community college for a year and, you know, was not a relatively highly thought of prospect coming out. And for them, for those two to turn themselves into potential first round draft picks, and I do think if, if Jordan and Devontae test well tomorrow, I think they're going to be first round draft picks. I think it just speaks to the culture that has been built at Georgia. And, and I do think these guys recognize that the combine is an opportunity to pay that back and, and show that, hey, we're here because of what we went through at the University of Georgia. Connor Riley, Dog Nation, uh, joining us here on 3 and Out. Connor, you mentioned Jordan Davis. Uh, I know he had his chance at the uh, the podium uh, yesterday saying he was up at, what, 350, 360 uh, there at the University of Georgia, going to try to play at 330 in the, the National Football League. Does that 
help his case that uh, he can obviously be as athletic as he showed at 360 pounds and is planning on being at 330 in the National Football League. Yeah, I think the weight is always going to be a thing with Jordan Davis. It is always going to be something that he has to monitor. I think we the, the four years that he was at Georgia, I think pretty clearly showed that. And I, I think you can even look at this season, and, and he's talked about how he was not in the best shape in that first Alabama game. And I think you can go back and watch the tape. It showed there. But the time off they had going into the playoff and then, you know, into the national championship game, I think allowed Jordan to sort of reset himself and reestablish where he wanted to be weight-wise. And I think that showed up in Georgia winning against Michigan and winning against Alabama. Uh, you know, Jordan, he, he's obviously an incredible talent. There, there is truly no one like him in this NFL draft. And on his run defense alone, at worst, it is going to make him a second-round pick. I, I think where he ends up going ultimately depends on, A, how well he, he tests athletically tomorrow. If he does what I think he is capable of doing, I think when you combine his fo- sort of football character, which is through the roof, you know, the, the fact that he was a captain for this team, for this program, really the face of the Georgia program this past year, I think speaks volumes about the type of person that an NFL team is getting. If he tests well and does well, and you know, I, I know a lot of people are going to want to see what he does in the 40 uh, at his size, but if he does well in like the short shuttle and, and, and three-cone drills, he's going to end up being a first-round draft pick. And, and one of the interesting things with Jordan just because he didn't rush the passer a whole lot at Georgia in part because you have guys like Trayvon Walker and Jalen Carter who can do that on third down, doesn't necessarily mean that he can't outright do that together. And so I think that's a question that he's obviously going to have to answer in the NFL. But if he goes out and tests well tomorrow, with all that he did at the University of Georgia, with how he built himself up, with how he has developed his football character, with his maturity, I think he is going to ultimately end up being a first-round pick and a very good defensive lineman for a team. Two guys that I think are very curious and very well, very interesting guys uh, representing these 14 guys that uh that come out for Georgia. Zamir White and James Cook. I mean, when you think about when you think about Georgia and how what we've known Kirby Smart to be over the years is run game, run game, run game. Kind of got away from it a little bit, but kind of did it by committee. Talk about how much the both of those guys can definitely boost their stock here uh, in, uh, in India, Connor, and especially with a guy like uh, James Cook, in my opinion. I think he's the ultimate uh, three-down back who can catch it out the backfield. Yeah, I think with James, I expect him to test well. The biggest thing with James, we can even say this with what we saw at his time at Georgia, he's got to go to a system where he's going to be utilized properly and maximized. I think you saw that this last year with Todd Munkin, splitting him out, moving him around, giving him carries up the middle. You look back and say his sophomore year when James Coley was the offensive coordinator, I mean, it was just so obvious when he was getting the ball in every play, and that didn't set up James to be a very successful player there. I would also say with Zamir and what he brings, I mean, obviously his football character is off the charts with sort of all that he has been through and sort of the toughness that he has shown during his time at Georgia. And if those knees come back clean, we're led to believe that they have so far. I think he can have a good NFL career. And the thing with the running back position we've seen, you don't need to be a first-round pick to carve out a successful NFL career. You look at a guy like Mike Davis, who I believe is an undrafted free agent who's been in the league for a long time. Cordell Patterson has a lot of success this past year for the Atlanta Falcons after bouncing around for a while. So if you show some football traits, I think Zamir's ability to run between the tackles, be a hard-nosed runner, along with all else that he brings, a phenomenal special teams player. You know, he might not go as high as certainly some people thought he would have coming into college, but I think Zamir White, and sort of touched on earlier, you know, the football character part of it, I think he's going to be a successful NFL player. You know, I don't know that he's going to be, you know, a 1,500-yard rusher. I don't think he's going to be, say, Dalvin Cook. But he can carve out a real NFL career for himself because of all that he brings to the table. It is not just his ability there to carry the football. 
Connor Riley, Dog Nation, joining us here on 3 and Out. Now, Connor, it's a, a Friday. I couldn't let you head off into the weekend without talking spring ball, which is coming up right around the corner uh, for, for Georgia. What's the biggest storyline for you uh, as, as Georgia opens practice here up, what, uh, next week? Uh, for me, I think the most thing that I am personally interested in is this wide receiver position. Uh, I think last year there was a lot of talent there. And because of injuries, we just never got to see it fully develop. And, and, you know, there were obviously questions. And by the end of the year, they got to a place where it was serviceable. That wide receiver room was really not up to par, especially compared to the talent on the rest of the team. There are some intriguing pieces back for this unit. But, again, so many of them have dealt with injuries. It's hard to really know what we have. You know, what is Dominic Blaylock going to look like now that he's truly fully healthy for the first time since December of 2019? Karius Jackson, I think, was pretty clearly hobbled by a knee injury last year. What did he give to this team? How do Ladd McConkey and Adonai Mitchell, probably real bright spots from last year's wide receiver group, build off what they did? What does Brian McClendon, the new wide receivers coach, bring to this wide receiver room? And, and then two guys that I'm really interested in because I think they have the chance to really – open up this wide receiver room, Arian Smith and C.J. Smith. Arian Smith fractured his leg last year, late last year in November. We'll see if he's able to go through drills and how active he's going to be this spring. We've seen with him, when he gets on the field, he makes plays. He just has not been able to stay on the field enough, enough to do that, and I think he's able to do that this spring. It's going to be encouraging. C.J. Smith is a freshman at L, freshman signing out of the Orlando area. This guy has speed for days, also really good size, measures in at 6'3", 180 pounds, and he recently shared that he clocked in at 22 miles an hour on GPS. That's incredibly fast for someone of that size. And so if C.J. Smith and Arian Smith are able to bring some speed to that wide receiver room, I think it's going to open up a lot of things for the talent that is in that room. I mean, kind of you talking about the wide receiver room. I mean, how intriguing could this quarterback room get? I mean, Stetson Bennett, uh, I want to say sent shockwaves when he said he's going to come back, you know, uh, for his senior year. But that that quarterback room has gotten very, very deep, very, very quickly with a guy like Stetson Bennett, who obviously is going to be the uh, the starter coming out of spring with what he just did uh, in 2021. But, I mean, how much of a competition do you think it's going to be? And do you think that competition is going to find itself making it to the fall season as well? Yeah, I don't think Kirby Smart's going to come out right and say Stetson Bennett is our starter like he did say JT Daniels last year because I think some of the way that that played out. But I do expect Stetson to be the guy. But, you know, once again, we enter a spring practice. Stetson Bennett won a national championship at Georgia. And everyone else is sort of wondering about the other quarterbacks in that room. I'm going to be really interested to see how the quarterback battle between Carson Beck, Brock Vandergriff, and I will throw Gunnar Stockton in there that I don't expect him personally to be much of a factor this spring. But Beck and Vandergriff, I think, have a real chance to not only compete for that backup job, but if they play well, you know, potentially turn this into a bigger competition and really push Stetson and, and force the Georgia coaching staff to make a decision. These guys have both been in the program for a while. I think they bring different things to this team. I think that Carson is maybe a little bit more of your traditional quarterback, your traditional passer, whereas I think Brock's athleticism might really give him an edge there. But how those guys play out, how those guys look on G-Day, I think is like you bring up is going to be one of the more interesting storylines this spring, even though I think we all expect Stetson to still be the starter and be the starter on September 3rd when they open up against Oregon. Connor Riley, Dog Nation, our guest here on 3 and Out. Connor, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yep, thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Connor Riley joining us here on 3 and Out. We've got a lot more to get to here on this Friday. It's 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, three and out on this Friday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, Matt Smith will join us coming up in the final hour of the program. We'll look at uh, some spring storylines there from the SEC. We'll look at 
Uh, get Ben's thoughts there on the SEC coming up in the spring. Of course, the combine, combine continuing on. You had eight receivers go sub 4-4 uh, yesterday at the combine, and we are just getting cranked up with workouts there in the National Football League as they uh, get ready for the draft. But, uh, Ben, obviously we're getting ready for college basketball uh, as well. Major conference tournaments coming up next week. They want to give a shout-out uh, to the Savannah State men's team. They are in the conference semis tonight. Had a big upset last night. Uh, they will play Morehouse tonight in the SEAC Conference semifinals. And earlier today, the Savannah State Lady Tigers, uh, they beat Albany State 73-59 to move on to the championship game. So uh, they will play for a conference title tomorrow. So a couple of uh, local teams with a chance to, uh, well, one's going to play for the conference championship. Another one's going to play for a chance to play for the conference championship later tonight. I mean, Kevin, I mean, I think I think uh, sometimes, you know, we, when we get to thinking about like, uh, you know, our area of the country, obviously it's football country and we don't we don't take that away. But I think, that you know, you have to you have to get credit when credit is due. You talk about it. You talk about a school, you know, in Savannah State that let's face it, man, since they went down from uh, D1 to D2, you know, people been saying, man, what type of you know, what type of uh, atmosphere has kind of been on that campus, man. But shout out, shout out to both the men's and the women's, uh, you know, uh, basketball team to find a way to go out there. You know and get it done, and and I will say this, Kevin. I mean, we 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 you know we 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 ain't making a lot about it, but the the women the women they leading the way now. They've only they've been doing it all year long. And Kevin, you know just like I know, do what you want on the college campus is kind of like a high school atmosphere when it comes to sports. Because you know the ladies are always saying, guys, y'all just get all the fanfare because y'all the guys, y'all ain't doing what we're doing. If you go to Savannah State this year, hey man, they saying man, y'all looking forward to y'all opponent, man. We trying to keep pace. With the, with the lady, with the you know, with the lady Tigers, man, we trying to make sure. But uh, but shout out to shout out to both Savannah State squads, man. Find a way to get it done because you know, Kevin, as we always talking about, exposure is the key. And and listen, as long as you win, you gonna keep going. And obviously, Savannah State, uh, men and women find themselves on the right side of this thing right now. Yeah, absolutely. And they continue on. I believe uh, Georgia Southern still moving on in the uh, the Sun Belt uh, tournament. But I, th- I think I saw Jared Binko State was the first time both men's. And women's uh, teams had advanced in the same season in the conference tournament, so uh, they're uh, breaking a little uh, a little history there as well. At Georgia Southern, so a fun time of year, Ben. When you get to these conference tournaments, you just never know what in the world's going to happen. I mean, I, I think that's what makes this part of the uh, the year so much fun is that you know you, you can play all year long and think you know, and sometimes you do, and other times you just get hot at the right time, and that's the beauty of March, right? I mean, it's OBO in Savannah State, O'Jar Binko in Statesboro. I mean, Kevin, I mean, I ain't jinxing nothing. I don't even believe it. Listen, ain't no, ain't no more curse. You see who I wear, right? Them piece up A-Town down brave. They <laughs> shut all that nonsense down. But, Kevin, I think you said it right, though. We get so caught up in, you know, football season, we forget. Hey, man, basketball season, hey, I'm trying to tell you, when the tournaments start, man, that's when the rubber meets the road. So, I'm like, listen, man, shout out. Yeah, shout out to them Tigers. Shout out to them Eagles, man, to find a way to get it done. Because the thing about it is, you know, some of these schools have storage traditions, but we we think it has to be on the, on the you know, out there on the football field on the door. Some of these schools got storage traditions on the basketball court as well. But shout out to both men's and women's, both in Statesboro and Savannah. Y'all better put some respect <laughs> on the 912, man. They find a way to get it done. Shout I was going to say, they're representing – uh... Uh, the state of Georgia, because I know outside of yeah. uh, outside of Georgia State men's basketball, I don't think there's a, a, a basketball team with a winning record in the state of Georgia uh, right now, uh, seemingly at the collegiate level. Savannah State doing a good job there, uh, getting the, getting the job done come conference tournament time as well. We've got so much to come here in the final hour of the program. Again, we'll keep looking at uh, the combine. 
Uh, a lot to talk about when it comes to the SEC and those spring storylines. I know Georgia, we've talked earlier, Ben, they bring back a lot, and they will certainly be the hunted there in the East, Alabama, Texas A&M. A lot of things to, uh, to, to figure out there as well. We'll talk with Matt Smith uh, when we come back uh, from southernpigskin.com. We'll get his thoughts on uh, the Southeastern Conference as he sees it. Always good uh, to talk with Matt. He'll probably know how many days and minutes there are until the first kickoff of the season and who it is. Like he, he just is all about that life uh, when it when it comes down to it. Listen, Matt, Matt, you know Kevin. He's gonna say, "Listen, Kevin." He, no, he'll throw a stat out there to kind of mess you up with your next question. Like, well, Kevin, the last time you know Georgia, you know the last time Georgia had this many guys in the national championship was back in you know 2007. You know, right before you know, uh, <laughs> right before you know that the, the kind of took a turn for the worse. Like, come on, Matt, man. Like, keep it strictly football. But I, I think now, though, Kevin, I'm not gonna ask, but I think Matt might be might be a daddy now. We might have yep. to check him out. Good to have you along here, three and out on this Friday. Kevin Thomas and Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com as well, and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Glad you are here. A lot to get to here in the final hour of the program, but it's never too early to talk spring football here on the show, and who better to do that with uh, than our next guest from uh, SouthernPigskin.com. We'll always enjoy having him on the show. Matt Smith joins us here on three and out. Matt, welcome. How are you, man? Hey guys, doing well. Yeah, had a Missouri get started last week, so it is uh, officially spring football season here in SEC country. And certainly, as you look around SEC country, and that will be expanding in the uh, the coming uh, years as well. But as you look around SEC country, what's the the big storyline league wide as uh, these spring practices start popping up all over the place? Yeah, I mean it's a cliche answer, but it's got to be some of the quarterback battles, especially the new faces going to intra-conference, intra-division schools that we're seeing. Whether it's Zach Calzada making the move from Texas A&M to, Al- to Auburn, is he going to be the guy there uh, after a crazy, crazy offseason so far for the Tigers? You know what's going on at LSU? Can Miles Brennan stay healthy for the first time really in his career? Um, we got Max Johnson going to Texas A&M. Is he going to be the guy? Is Saints King going to be back healthy after missing most of uh, a last season? So just crazy. Jackson Dart coming into Ole Miss. Can he? Uh, unseat Luke Altmeyer, who was the backup last year to Matt Corral. Just, just crazy quarterback battles going on. Um, probably even more so than most years. So certainly, um, as most people will, the thing I'll be keeping an eye on most over the next six weeks or so. Man, when you think about how interesting, how intriguing this uh, quarterback room is going to be for Georgia, obviously Stetson Bennett is going to be the guy coming off a national championship. But at a certain point, you're going to have to start letting some of these guys you recruited get a chance to go out there and play, or people are going to be thinking, hey, man, Coming to Georgia, unless you want the best story, unless you want the biggest stories coming out of Southeast Georgia, you don't even get a chance to play quarterback these days. It, it's crazy. You know, I said all last year, like, it, it's time. Do we do something else there? Can you really win a national championship with this guy? And, you know, for the first, you know, maybe two and a half quarters of the national title game, it looked like I, Georgia probably just couldn't do it. And then uh, give Stetson Bennett credit, of course. He was outstanding in that final stretch there to, to get Georgia over the hump um, and got his some. Um, five-digit dollar-figure bourbon to drink, which he more than well-deserved um, after that performance. But, yeah, I mean, he's got to be the guy, at least initially. Could I see a scenario where something goes awry and, and with the defense maybe taking a bit of a step back from, from last year's dominant unit, they feel like maybe they, they need to make a move because they need to win games in a different style than they were able to do for pretty much all of 2021. So just fascinating how, how it affects recruiting. I, I don't think so. Obviously, there's one certain quarterback we know we're going to be keeping our eye on here. 
that should be making a, a decision in, over the summer sometime with a pretty famous last name. So we'll see if that, that plays a factor in, in the, the situation there. But I, I don't think so. But it is just funny going into the season for the Bulldogs with a guy who just won the national title, wondering will he be the guy again for all 12, 13, 14, 15 games again. Uh, but touch his life when you're Stetson Bennett. And he's answered every question that's been fired at him over the last couple of years about whether he was worthy of that honor to play for such a talented team in the SEC. And, and Matt, obviously we're kind of close to it here in the state, but interested to see your thoughts on how the narrative uh, outside of Georgia has, has changed on the Bulldogs. Because for so many years it was 1980, 1980, 1980. All the resources, all the money, all the backing, all the fan support, 1980, 1980, 1980. Now that's kind of uh, gone away. Is the narrative now Alabama light? Is that what we're talking about with, uh, with, with, with Georgia now? Or how, how do you think the narrative has changed around this Georgia team from obviously outside the state of Georgia? Uh, I think it's Alabama East. I think it was Alabama light prior to last year, but, but no more when they went out and beat them on the biggest of stages. So, you know, I think they're pretty much equivalent programs. I think in terms of a reset, it's probably a bit more to replace at Georgia than what Alabama has. That defense should be absolutely phenomenal. So, I, you know, I'd probably give the edge to Alabama on the overall roster next year. But for the coming, you know, four and five years, I think, with what they have in the pipeline, it's probably just going to go, you know, shoots and ladders about who's got the slight advantage in one given year just based on who turns pro, who might have done a little better in recruiting, um, which guys panned out, coaching turnover, and all those little factors. But to me, they're pretty much equivalent programs, at least. I mean, Nick's the best to ever do it and probably is going to be uh, for the rest of our lifetime, but in terms of the current states of the program, I think they're on par. We saw that last year, splitting two meetings. I'm sure we'll see at least one uh, in 2022 here. So, no, Alabama light, those days are over, I think. And, man, I mean, the, the, the thing the thing about it is with, a team, with teams like Georgia and Alabama, they're just reloading. When you think about when you think about teams that are trying to keep pace, I mean, you think about Florida, you think about LSU, you know, you think about the Auburn, you think about Tennessee, who's – which team this spring is going to have to have a good showing? And obviously, you don't really know. Uh, you don't really know what uh, to really make of the spring because everything is all scripted. But what teams? What what second tier teams or the second or third teams in, in each conference really got to show that? Hey, man, coming out of spring, we got to at least show some promise that we can at least kind of keep pace with these two guys at the top. Yeah, roster wise, Ben, I. Probably think A&M is the only one who has the roster to even compete with those two next year. Um, in terms of program health going forward, I think LSU is in a much better spot with a, a competent head coach who at least takes care of business against teams where he has the talent advantage. He did that for pretty much the last five years at Notre Dame where if they played a team that they were better than, they beat them. There was no stupid losses no head-scratching performance. It's like we saw way too much of from LSU. So I think, you know, by 2023, 2024, they're in a good spot. I think the same with Florida. If you're talking to people who know Nick Saban and, and his coaching tree well, they, they seem to think that Billy Napier is the most like Saban personality-wise. I think you're seeing that with some of the stuff he's implemented, some of the new titles he's had. Uh, but that's not a one-year fix. That's not a Band-Aid. There are a lot of issues both on and off the field, I think. With that program last year, so two or three years from now, you know, I, I think Florida LSU can elevate themselves. But for 2022, yeah, I, I think A&M's really the only one, and that's relying a lot on this um, high-priced, if you will, freshman class that they got coming in. Uh, but even for them, I, I'm pointing to 2023 as the year where I give A&M actually a pretty good shot uh, to finally unseat Alabama in the SEC West. I don't think this is the year just because of uh, still some uncertainty at quarterback 
and so many freshmen that they're going to need to step in. I think that's a tough ask against what should be a loaded Alabama team. So roster-wise, I think A&M is probably the only one I even put in the same breath because of but the experience gap. I think we'll hold the Aggies back for at least one more year at uh, trying to capture that elusive SEC West title for the first time. Matt Smith, SouthernPigskin.com. Joining us here on 3 and Out. Matt, you mentioned health of the program, so that leads my mind in one direction, and that's Auburn. How do they bounce back from all that took place in the offseason? I know you got Zach Calzada coming in. You have a, a really good quarterback from our area and Holden Gurner going uh, in as a highly thought-of uh, quarterback. But obviously there are folks inside the program that don't like Brian Harson. How, how do you keep the program moving forward over all that's happened uh, there at Auburn? Yeah, they just haven't had the ability to, you know, tell those prominent boosters to just shut up and we'll win and everything will be fine and dandy. You know, Alabama was able to do that, give both Saban and Mal Moore credit at the time. But, you know, we're not going to do some of this stuff. You guys just sit back. Um, we'll, we'll get the players. You're just, it doesn't matter who gets the credit. We're going to win at the end of the day. And I don't think we've seen that those dynamics really work itself out at Auburn, which, you know, they've been able to flash at times, of course, but it turns quickly. It turns 180 degrees very quickly at that place, more so than any other in the conference. So I think looking at what Auburn has on paper, looking at their schedule, it's hard for me to see them going, you know, I think seven and five would actually be a really good job for, for this team with what they got coming back and the road they have to face in the SEC West. So, to me, this probably ends in, in December again. They're going to have to pay a lot of money again. I know they appeared to you know bridge over some gaps over the past month um, with Harson in the school, but it's a mess. I think the record's going to be bad. I'd probably pick them seventh in the West at this point, and I expect the coaching search. You know, I expected it a month ago, given the way things were playing out, but uh, they settled it, patched up some things for time at least, but it's going to erode once again, and I think we'll be looking at another uh, wild and crazy Auburn coaching search come December, another huge uh, – out on the books after what they paid to Gus on about a year and a half ago. But that, that's part for the course, as crazy as it is at a place like Auburn. Matt, when Tennessee was able to go out there and finally put Hendon Hooker in as a starter, you saw what he did for that offense. You look at you look at a guy like uh like Stetson Bennett, who's coming back at the national championship winner. If you don't know what Florida is gonna do with the quarterback position, is due to do does uh the South Carolina has the best quarterback in the NCC East right now, even though Spencer Rattler hasn't taken a snap yet. Yeah, that that's fascinating. I, I was like most people. I was pretty high on on Rattler coming into 2021. Um, I thought he he played in a bit of a rage at time in 2020. That was kind of my concern with both him and Matt Corral um, was that they were kind of two overly emotional players. And I think while Corral took a lot of strides um, in that way in 2021 and should make himself quite a bit of money here about two months from now. Uh, Rattler kind of backslid. You know, I think he got flustered too much. He knew there was a lot of buzz about Caleb Williams. Probably didn't handle that situation very well. But it's time for a fresh start. The talent is there. Um, certainly a mature player now going into his fourth year in college. Um, I expect a lot of strides in that sense. Again, the talent is there. The arm strength is there. This guy can play on Sundays at some point. Um, but if he's coached well, I, you know, I think that can happen. But I think the emotional side of things is what concerned me last year. I think what he needs to work on most. Not going to have a ton of talent at South Carolina, but he's going to be on a lot of big stages and a chance to elevate. And I don't think the SEC East quarterback crop, you know, as you were saying, Bennett is super impressive. You know, Hendon Hooker is pretty good. Obviously, you got a national championship winner in Stetson Bennett. But we don't know what Missouri's going to do. We don't know what Florida's going to do. Vanderbilt's Vanderbilt. So it's some chances to really have a significant gap talent-wise at quarterback, at least. Does that translate into wins for South Carolina? I don't know. But I think that's a step for Rattler is kind of look to what Matt Corral did last year, 
put a you know very up and down uh, some really bad performances behind them, be a more consistent player, uh, not have those wild swings and just be more stable. And I think that can get him to where he wants to be, both personally and then becoming professionally, uh, potentially as soon as next spring. Matt Smith, SouthernPigskin.com. Joining us, Matt, uh, Ben mentioned Tennessee there for a moment. Are you buying the gains they made late in the year? Is that momentum that you think feeds into 2022? And might Tennessee be making a run as that number two behind Georgia in the East? Yeah, I think they're in that group. It's kind of hard for me to really separate uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Florida. I think they're they're two to four in some order. I think Tennessee probably has a schedule advantage there, at least amongst those three. They'll get both Kentucky and Florida and Knoxville. But, yeah, Hendon Hooker was really impressive. Got his top target back in Cedric Tillman. Uh, maybe a bit like the situation Ole Miss was in a year ago, where if that defense can just take a little bit of strides, uh, or a few strides, which Ole Miss did last year very well. That was a nice job uh, by D.J. Durkin and earned himself a whole lot of money at A&M getting that job. If the defense can take a couple significant steps forward, that's a program you could see going from 7-6, uh, and six, I think they were, to maybe 9-3, and 10-2, and two, and even contending for a New Year's Six Bowl, kind of like Ole Miss did last year. So that, that's a lot to ask for a program that's kind of been stuck spinning their wheels for 10 or 15 years now, and I'm sure Ben's enjoyed every bit of that. Um, but but I, I think there are some good signs there. I think Heupel knows what he's doing. And for the first time since probably, you know, 2004-ish, Tennessee, I think is in a pretty good spot. Long way to go to catch Georgia. That's two or three years away. But I think second place in the East is definitely something that, uh, that can be on the table for the Vols in 2022. And, man, I mean, I know we I know we some months away, but how – how intriguing do you think SEC media days is going to be when you talk about, I mean, obviously Kirby Smart coming in with the national championship, uh, Nick Saban saying, listen, they won the national, but we still won the SEC. Uh, and then you talk about guys like, you know, you talk about guys like Brian Kelly, you talk about guys like Billy Napier, you talk about guys like Spencer Riley. It's going to be star studded, both coaches and players. And I think for the SEC and, uh, you know, guys like uh, Greg Sankey, he wouldn't want nothing more uh, than to have all eyes, you know, Atlanta uh, come June or come July. Always, always is. Yeah, I think Brian Kelly's always pretty good with the media. He's kind of got that politician-ish uh, charm, so he's always had a, a pretty good uh, face for the media and stuff, handles that well. Um, Billy Napier is very interesting because, again, I think we're going to see just kind of his, maybe his mannerisms, some of his phrasing, um, that he's going to be a lot like Saban. Not that some of Saban's other protégés, whether it be Kirby, whether it be Jimbo, Jeremy Pruitt, weren't. Um, but, again, I think we're just going to see so much of Saban um, getting our first real chance at Billy Napier as a Power 5 head coach in that setting. So, probably for me, that'll be the most interesting just to see, oh, yeah, I see that. Um, I see that Saban in him. So, yeah, always a star-studded event. Brian Harson, of course, um, having to answer questions about what he went through over the past couple months. So, always will be a crazy setting and probably the first real SEC media days. Obviously had it last year, but not quite the same, not having it at all in 2020. I feel like the old days um, pre-pandemic. So, yeah, it's four months away, but time flies, and uh, they'll both be gathering in Atlanta. It'll be the brink of the season before long. Can't wait. I, I know they, they'll downplay it, I'm sure, but do you think there'll be a kind of a growing sense of urgency, especially from the Tennessees, from the Kentuckys, from the, uh, you know, the, the, the Sam Pittmans in Arkansas and, and some others, knowing that Oklahoma and Texas are right on the horizon, and that's just not that they're scared of, but it's like there's just two more teams you may potentially – have to uh, to go up against and not knowing fully what the landscape of the SEC might look like once they get there. Sure, and some of that is depending on what happens with the playoff here. You know, whether we have probably a year or two gap, I would say, where 
we'll still have four teams, and you're going to have Texas, Oklahoma in the league, and for a team like whoever, Arkansas, Ole Miss, Tennessee, to think they can make a run to a four-team playoff with that in a 16-team conference, well, yeah, that's a lot to ask. But going forward, where there's probably more access, I don't think there's any reason to panic here because the SEC is going to own pretty much all the at-large spots, you would think, when you get to a a 16-team conference with that. We'll see how divisions and schedule and all that sorts out uh, over the next year or two. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's time to panic. I mean, Texas is – I would panic more if I'm Texas than if I'm Tennessee or Arkansas. They see this every year. They know what's coming. Texas doesn't know what's coming. They'll get a you know a Kansas thrown in there or a Texas Tech thrown in there um, for kind of a down week. You don't get that in the SEC West. you got to play Alabama, and then you got to turn around and – no stale issue, and then you're going up to Arkansas, and it's you know 40 degrees and rainy in Fayetteville. You know that's life in the SEC West, and I don't know if those programs are ready for that. So, in terms of who should be scared right now, I think much more so Texas and Oklahoma should be, as opposed to Arkansas and Ole Miss. They know what they're getting into. They know this life. It's tough, but uh, they do it every year, and and they make it work as best they can given the resources they have. Matt Smith, SouthernPigskin.com, our guest here on Three and Out. Matt, always a pleasure, my friend. We'll talk soon. Thanks so much. Absolutely, boys. Have a good weekend. Appreciate it. Matt Smith, always uh, great talking to him. SouthernPigskin.com is the SEC. Storylines abound. As again, Missouri back at it and teams just popping up all over the place with spring practice. We'll break down some of our big storylines when we return. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, three and out on this Friday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. Again, just got done talking with Matt Smith, a lot of SEC storylines as we head into the spring. And, uh, Ben Troop, what's kind of your big storyline to watch around the SEC here? Kevin, I mean, I I really, really want to see. I, I think you said it. With everything that happened with Auburn, right, it, it was I, I ain't never seen nothing like this. Like, I've never seen a fan base and maybe a school seemingly like turn on a coach but then realize, well, dude, like, we're going to have to do an investigation. And when the investigation proved that he ain't done nothing, how do we kind of do damage control? Because, Kevin, isn't Auburn that curious case? Like, every year we think they're not going to do good, they do good. Every year, oh, preseason top ten, they don't do good. But I don't think they've ever had an offseason like this. Was like, I was in the Gus Malzahn moving on for him. That was a big deal. But I ain't never seen nothing like this situation with Coach Harson. I mean, you get rid of both coordinators. Uh, obviously, you know, a Bo Nix moves on. To I mean, or I just think it's crazy. You got you, you you got the you got the you got the coordinator turnover. You got that you got you know you got guys like uh, Bo Nix leaving. But the Harson situation, it was weird because being in the media, we ha we really have to wait. Like, yeah, we report on it, but we still got to kind of wait to say I don't want to just be picking a side like I know. And then when it come out, okay, he's coming back. It's like, what if you are a part? Of, what if you are the president? You are the AD saying, well, dude. You know, you had me in my office talking about we're going to have to do another buyout. Now you're saying, welcome back. I, I I just think that, Kevin, if we can get past the stuff that has nothing to do with football to actual football activities, I'm going to be interested to see how those Auburn Tigers kind of end up during this spring. Yeah, I think they are, they're an interesting story because you feel like on some level they should be better than what they've been. But at, at the same time, it's been, you know, dysfunction uh, over there for, for quite some time as well. To me, I I'm looking at, Two places in the East, Tennessee and Florida. I think Georgia is embracing. I mean, that's what Kirby Smart has done since he's been there. He's like, we want to be Alabama East, basically. And that's what he has done now with the championship. Uh, but I look at Florida and Tennessee. I mean, as you well know, Ben, I mean, if this was 1990s football, it was Georgia, uh, Tennessee, and Florida uh, every single year up in there. And Tennessee and Florida 
Uh, you go back and, and and look here. But to me, Napier is, is stepping into a situation where you know you can win, right? You've had a number of different coaches. Muschamp had a, a season where they went up, jumped up there and what, won 11 games. You've had different coaches that didn't ultimately work out that still had some success. Dan Mullen had some success. It ultimately did not work out. So can Billy Napier do that and get Florida in contention for the East and kind of uh, put them back on that map? I think he can. To me, Tennessee is interesting because you got a lot of just bad things that have happened to Tennessee since Philip Fulmer was the head coach. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, Georgia has pretty much owned you in in the series. I think Tennessee's only won, what, like two or three of the last 15 against Georgia. You go, man, that's pretty bad. Well, take a look at their record against the Gators. It's almost as bad uh, against Florida. I think they've only won maybe twice in 15 years against the Florida Gators. So to me, if you're looking at Josh Heupel, yeah, it's all fun. And it's it was exciting. It's up-tempo. But, man, you have been awful against your your big big contention. Now, is anybody going to cry about, you know, hey, they haven't beat – I think they haven't beat Alabama in, like, 14 years. Yes, yes, that, that's, I mean, that's, yeah, and that's least, their crossover. That's at least understandable that your crossover is Alabama. They've been winning national championships. I get it. But those three series, you haven't really been competitive in, right? I mean, you're talking about a combined maybe, what, 45 games against – Alabama, Georgia, and uh, Alabama, Georgia, and Florida, and you've maybe won five of those. So five and forty against your big three rivals—that's something you got to slowly turn around. Like I appreciate it when you're slapping around Vanderbilt and Missouri, and you're getting some wins like that. But I think for Tennessee, for me to truly buy into them, how much better can they get under Josh Heupel to where they can beat Florida? They feel like going and playing Georgia, they can win. They can be the aggressor in that in that game. They could actually have the talent to stay on the field with Alabama and be and be competitive. So to me, those are the the things that I look at Tennessee and people say, man, Josh Heupel really got it turned around. And he mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. But also, who were you beating? Yeah. Uh, you're beating some teams that traditionally Tennessee has been better than. You've beat some teams at the bottom of the league. And I, I, I really feel like you need to see progress year two and how you compete against Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. Doesn't mean you're going to beat them, but I think how do you compete against Georgia? If you could keep it close, maybe you're closing that gap. If you could compete with Alabama, I think you go back and look at the Tennessee-Alabama tapes the last few years. The last time it was within a touchdown, I think Mount Cody was playing. For, I'm being serious. Was playing for Alabama. It's, been a, minute, it's I, it, been a long time. So it's been a minute since you've even been able to say, hey, we deserve to be on the same field. So to me, I'm watching Tennessee. Was it, are we overbuying that flurry of finish versus maybe where they actually are as a program? We're gonna, we, oh, I mean, Kevin, I will say this. Coach Hypo shows you that when you got a guy that wants to be at Tennessee or wants to be at a program that wants to take on, like, you know, uh, the recent history or lack thereof, it shows. Now, Hendon Hooker is going to have a lot to do with it. Like, I mean, obviously, Hendon Hooker w- was decided to come there well before Hypo even became the head coach. But you see that his 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 uh, ability translated to the new system that they brought in from UCF with Coach Hypo. But now, Kevin, that's 75. It looks better than what it is, like you said. Who did you lose to? You losing to Familiar Four. You losing to Georgia. Losing to Florida. Losing. It's not even close with Alabama, but you still end up with seven wins. So that seventh win is the season. Now, 
you had a year to kind of say, okay, this is what Hyper wants to run. Now, are they running as many plays as they thought? Yes and no. Yes, they do when they win, but when they lose, it's much to do about nothing. Like the game is really over. You're still trying to get these plays in. So kind of kind of similar to Coke, like a Mike Leach East, you want to run a bunch of plays, even though it ain't the air raid, and how is it going to go? But I think you make a good point when you even talk about Florida. Like the thing about Billy Napier is coming in with a lot of fanfare. You saw what he did in Louisiana. I mean, you see, he getting a new coach. He, I mean, he got, he got, he get a new coach like every every single day. But <laughs> does, but does what he do? Uh, but is what he's doing, Kevin? Does it translate to wins? Because you know, just like I know, Kevin, there are no mulligans anymore. There are no. Hey, man, they're gonna give him a. There are no giving years anymore. Like, and you can blame that on the coach hyper. He comes in first year, seven wins, right? Sam Pittman first year in the SEC, seven eight wins. In an all SEC schedule, so I think the I think a guy like Billy Napier is unfortunately they gave you all what seven point five seven seven point five million dollars. That's what you got for your staff. You talk about being able to say, "Hey man, unfortunately the best team in the country is in our division, not named Alabama." Being being those boys boys in Athens, so I do think the pressure. And then you got to deal with the fact that, hey man, uh, Spencer Rattlers in South Carolina, and y'all lost to them last year. Missouri, I don't know who that quarterback is. Y'all lost it, even though he had nothing to do with it. So I do think all eyes going to be on Florida. Billy Napier, that quarterback position, because while you got Anthony Richardson, <clears throat> while you still got Emory Jones, who is it going to be? Is it going to be the transfer from Ohio State? And uh, I think it's going to, that's, that's what makes it intriguing, Kevin. <clears throat> Excuse me, when you think about Tennessee, all right, are they, are they, quote, are they back? Now, and when we say back, Kevin, I'm not talking about the Tennessee yeah. men you grew up watching. We're talking about are they a consistent seven, eight, maybe nine win team and the days of they ain't worrying about beating Vanderbilt. Because that, because as of recent, <laughs> oh, Vanderbilt was beating Tennessee. I mean, so, I, and then if you're talking about, if you're talking about Florida, is, hey, man, are you the consistent number two right now in the East? Because it's crowded. Missouri, Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina, I mean, who knows? It was up for grabs. So I think that, but I do, I do think that uh, the pressure is supposed to be there. In, I mean, because the pressure is coming out of Athens. Because now, Kevin, you, we we talking about a storyline. <laughs> Finally got over the hump in Athens. I mean, exercise a lot of demons. Every Georgia player, and you know, and, you know, Jeff Owen say all ten thousand former players <laughs> say, "Hey, man, congratulations on the on the national championship." But now, Kevin, can you maintain that status quo? Because you know, just like I know. If Georgia ain't in the college football playoff in 2022, those same bluebirds, those say, <laughs> uh-huh, they coming back. And you know that's how it is, Kevin. It's like sustainability is yeah. the hardest one. Can Georgia sustain, which I think they can, but that's easier said than done. Yeah, and from that standpoint, uh, Nick Saban ruined that for everybody where you're just like, oh, you just come out and win and play for that. And like, like making it look like that's what's supposed to go uh, each and every year. We got more to come. Combine going on. Right in through the weekend, we'll break some of that down. We are looking at maybe at certain positions, a very deep draft. Where can you get the most value when you say jump on this guy, but maybe you can't wait till the second round and still get a very good value if you're a team like Atlanta at number eight. We'll hit that when we return. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you along here. Three and out on this Friday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're with us. Combine going on. And if you're an Atlanta Falcons fan picking at eight, Ben, you have to feel good. A lot of options uh, for players there at at number eight. Uh, how deep do you feel this draft is and what position groups do you think might be the deepest that we see in this draft? So if you're Atlanta, you could say, man, they really needed to get this, but you could still address it with a quality player in round number two. 
I mean, <clears throat> for what I've seen, Kevin, the deepest position right now might be the receivers. And I know that's easy to say. I mean, these boys throwing up four twos and four threes like it's nothing. I mean, you had, what, eight, nine guys run sub, four threes, four fours. And that's something that's hard to come by. I mean, I mean, with George Pickens, got to miss a full year, six three. 6'4", 200 pounds, ran a 4-4-0. I mean, we're talking about Chris Olave and Gary Wilson. But Gary Wilson ran a 4-3. Freaking Chris Olave ran a 4-2. Those are those two of your four starting receivers last year. Was you asked why C.J. Stroud put up the numbers he put, well, two of his receivers are sub 4-3, and he got two that's still there with one of them putting up a full season in one bowl game. But I do think it's wide receivers. But I do got to get my homer on <laughs> for a second. I've gone the whole show. I did my best to stay away from it, but the tight end position is deeper than you think. And the reason why I say that is, Kevin, I mean, we know about we know about the Jalen. We know about Watermeyer, you know, up there, uh, Texas A&M. We know about Isaiah Likely at Coastal Carolina or Trey McBride. I give you two guys that stood out to me, though. University of Virginia, Jelani Woods, 6'7", 259 pounds. He ran a 4'6", 24 on the bench. Kevin, which means he was the strongest tight end and the man ran a four six one. That's two hundred and fifty nine pounds. That's that's LeBron <laughs> running at tight end, just an inch shorter and maybe like a couple of pounds heavier. <clears throat> I'm gonna do my best. And listen, if you are a Maryland Terps fan, just please forgive me. I mean, Chigozian Okonkwo. I, I, I'm doing my best. Thank God, Vision. You couldn't pronounce it either. But anyway, I mean, <laughs> uh, <laughs> listen. Five, four, five, two, four, five, two, forty, Kevin. And I think what happens is, Kevin, when you think about the NFL for a second, right? We get so we get enamored by these receivers, right? The Jamar Chases, the Justin Jeffersons, the the Odell Beckham Juniors, the Tyreek Hills. But these are rare. When I think about the tight end position, think about what it does for your offense. Look at what it does for Atlanta offense last year, right? Look at what it does for Kansas City's. Or, or look at what it does, you know, uh, look at what it does for San Francisco. <laughs> look at what it does for Baltimore. Mark Andrews, tied out of Oklahoma, was first team all pro last year. All I'm saying is you need an inline blocker that can make money in between the hashes and down the seams. I think these guys are built to do it because, Kevin, what happens is we you you almost got – you don't got to deal with Jalen Ramsey. You don't got to deal with, you know, Stephon Gilmore. You're dealing with safeties that's giving up 50, sometimes 60 pounds. And, you know, and, and you get a guy <clears throat> like Jelani Woods, 24, 24 inches on the bench press, that's long arms. That means he's probably doing 30 reps to guys with regular size arms. So I think that while the wide receiver position is the deepest, and obviously the O-line, the D-line are freakish, I think when you look at where the NFL is going, you give a, you give a quarterback a tight end that can be consistent, that's going to help out any team because I think a lot of teams are saying, dude, we can run our passing game through these guys. These guys are top five, top ten in the league. And receiving, I mean, is there a better tight end in the league than Travis Kelsey? No. Is there a better all-around tight end than George Kittle? No. Is there a better athlete than Darren Waller? No. So these guys, I think, I think, you know, I mean, I mean, six, seven, Kevin, six, seven, two, fifty-nine. If you yeah. can't find a way to get him on the field, you don't need to be an offensive coordinator. You shouldn't coach football. I, just, I, I, don't, I don't care who. And that's a four-six-one. That's a lot of man and a lot of speed coming at you. That is the. That is that is a. Uh, that is, uh, you know, I'm making business decisions all day long if I'm playing safe and dealing with these dudes. I was going to say, Ben, that it seems to me that in the in the the last really handful of years with the athletes, eh, maybe two decades, I would say. Uh, you look at the the tight end position; it's where I think the NFL uh, brass have kind of figured out we can create mismatches. That's the easiest spot to create mismatches, especially with the guys that are big and athletic as they are. Because if you're if you're big enough 
to hang with me, you're not fast enough. And if you're fast mm-hmm. enough to hang with me, you're not big enough to take that beating all game. So I think that has been the, the position that is uh, kind of been, you know, the the revelation because it's where you can most easy, I think, find a mismatch because guys will say, well, just get a six four wide receiver. Okay. I mean, most corners that are, you know, five stars coming out of college are like six one, six two. Like I think that gap has kind of closed a little bit in terms of just get a guy that's six inches taller and throw it up to him. I think that gap's kind of closed a, a little bit. Running back, I mean, unless you're Derrick Henry, my God, that's that's one guy in the history of guys. It's hard to create that mismatch uh, there at the running back uh, positions. But to me, it's a tight end where it's like, if you're big enough, you're not fast enough, and if you're fast enough, you're not big enough to stay with me all game. Well, I mean, I I, I think Kevin too. But think about this too, though, Kevin. You the goal is to make the quarterback position an, easy, an easier transition because of the guys around him, right? Well, who's going to stand out the quickest? The guy that's closest to you. When well, the tight end is right there, he's got his hand <clears throat> got his hand on the line, and you're talking about an intermediate route runner. He's going to be running five yard stick routes. He's going to be running ten yard in cuts. He's going to be running corner routes. I mean, he's going to be running flat routes. So he's going to be real like real quick decision making. And he's six five six six. I mean, and Jelani Woods, 6'7". So I think, and, and the thing is, too, the greatest tight end in NFL history is Gronk. Gronk is not the most talented tight end I've ever seen. Gronk is not the most athletic tight end I've ever seen. But he's out, but he's 6'6", 270 or 265, and don't nobody want to deal with him because, Kevin, the thing is, when he get his ball, when he get the balls in his hand, people can't tackle him. Not that they don't want to tackle him. They're like, dude, look at him. And he's more, he's a clumsy athlete, but he's also the greatest and I think that, Kevin, when you talk about pairings, I'm going to say this. I never saw Darren Waller becoming that. Coming out of Georgia Tech, I knew he had athletic ability. I didn't see him becoming that. But I think that's what happens. You get a you get a, you get get him in the right system, the right quarterback, and, you go, and you're going to highlight what he does. I'm sorry, man. Darren Waller is a top three, top four uh, tight end in the league. And that's any year ever since he's been with the Raiders. So I do think, Kevin, now – the tight end position, never, ever going to be seen as, quote, the glamour position, but a lot more fanfare than it has. Well, I mean, well, well, ben, yet, just last year, the Falcons took one higher than anyone had ever taken one in a draft ever. And he had the best rookie year ever for a tight end in terms of yards. Now, I mean, obviously, Falcons fans would love for him to get in the end zone a little bit more uh, yep. at, at the end of the day, but uh, that would be. Uh, you know, uh, I think you're going to see some more of that in the coming years at the tight end position. All right, Ben, if you're the Falcons there uh, at eight, what are you looking to do right now? Because we've talked to a number of folks. A number of guys could fall to you. I know it would be tempting to take maybe a wide receiver, but could you get that in the second mm-hmm. round? Given what could fall to you, and it, uh, there's any kind of scenario there at eight, what are you looking to do if you're Atlanta? Where can you get your best value at number eight in terms of, all right, the position is deep, but this guy, if he's here, we can't pass him up. If if uh, if, uh, if for some unforeseen reason, <clears throat> uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, the the, the, the big time pass rusher, or if he drops, you got to get him because you need a pass rusher bad. But I will say this about the Falcons. I mean, Kevin, you're not going to get a receiver that high. Unfortunately, you're not going to get one of those guys that high. But I think that for for, for Atlanta, man, you've got to think quarterback. Because the thing about it is, is AJ Terrell really panned out. He's going into year three. If you can get you a, if you can get you a, a you know, a, a sauce walk, I mean, a sauce guard, if you can get you a Derek Stingley, I think you pull the trigger. Because I think what happens is, Kevin, I think they're going to try to try to address the wide receiver position either later in the draft or in free agency. 
But if you can get you two lockdown corners, which is going to make life a, a little bit better for those D linemen, I think you get it because I think, Kevin, with a, a team like Atlanta that needs so much, I mean, you need, you're need not going to get a running back. You're not going to get a receiver that high unless a pass runs to drop, so you're going to get him. I mean, you will always take an offensive lineman, but you're just two years removed from getting two offensive linemen in the first round, so you're not going to go there either. So I think I think they go cornerback, maybe the safety out of uh, Notre Dame. If he drops that far, you get him. But defensive end, cornerback, safety, and maybe if you get a if you got an offensive lineman that you thought was going to be a top three pick that drops to you, maybe you you know maybe you take a chance on him. Yeah, Falcons with a lot of options. I think you're seeing that more and more as we talk about these mock drafts and how this draft opens up. I mean, Atlanta's in a good spot. I guess you could say, well, they need everything, but it. it I think no matter what position you go at at eight, you're going to get a one of the top guys uh, there at, at, at number eight, and still get even if you get number two in some cases, maybe a guy that might have been top four top three in some other years uh, coming out. We got more to come here on this Fridays. We're trying to get you to uh, the weekend. Stay with us here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. As we bring you home here on this Friday afternoon, glad you're making us a part of your day. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, as we head into the weekend, of course, next week, major college conference tournaments uh, going to be taking place uh, as well. We'll Hopefully see if Major League Baseball decides they want to talk some more and get closer to uh, to a deal as well. We've got Hawks and Wizards coming up tonight uh, for you in our Brunswick and Waycross market, up in uh, our Savannah market as well. Uh, we've got uh, Georgia and Georgia Tech on the baseball diamond. So two uh, top 15 type uh, programs going at it. Uh, I think they're playing two this weekend, so we'll have that for you in our Savannah market uh, here uh, this evening. Plus the NFL Combine going on. All weekend long, Ben. So a, a full weekend, even with no baseball on the calendar out there uh, in the sports ca- uh, landscape. Kevin, it's happening. Kevin, remember you said what was what, what is going to replace this airtime? We were talking about MLB, and and mind you, it's early. But Kevin, you said it. Kevin was like, "Listen, I don't like predicting the future and being right." MLB, <laughs> get it together, man. Because one, listen, you never miss something until it's gone. Well, guess what? You might not be missed as much as you thought because these TV networks, or they're going to fill that slot. Oh, Don't yeah. think that there's not going to be anything filled. We might get sick of what we're looking at, but they're going to fill that <laughs> slot. <laughs> but a lot to get to. A big weekend uh, for the Hawks. They start a road trip uh, at the Wizards. They are in 10th, uh, are the Hawks right now, Ben. So uh, as they, they come down the stretch here in March and April trying to get up uh, out of 10, hopefully get to 8 uh, and not be in a, as bad a playoff situation. I mean, I hope the Hawks, I mean, understand, Kevin, I think it's going to come back to, like, obviously last year they kind of peaked a little bit, making it to the Eastern Conference Finals. They're going to have to be scrappy on defense. Trey Young is going to give you all you can handle on the offensive side of the ball, but they still end up losing by, you know, five or six points. Be more active on the defensive end. Try to scratch and claw, because, Kevin, they're going to be right in the thick of things to be, you know, get one of those last playoff spots. But once again, they're going to need every single game to come down to the wire to probably to, to be a potential uh, back-to-back playoff team. Yeah, you hate that it's, uh, it, it makes you sweat it out. Uh, like that, but they could possibly uh, do that coming up uh, down the stretch of the season. Again, we'll see how the uh, the combine turns out. We've kind of seen the quarterbacks uh, do some of their things. It'll be interesting to see uh, who else kind of turns some heads. I, I always like seeing the big men uh, once they get out there and run. And like you said, people don't appreciate 6'7", 250, running 4'6". But I don't think people appreciate like 6'4", 320, running like 5' flat. You're like, 5' flat? That's like, like, do you appreciate how much weight is getting picked up and put down, running down that that uh, forty yard track. 
Y'all better be lucky that this happens at the combine because if you got a 300-something pound man running full speed at you, you better not owe him no money because I'm telling you, <laughs> he's coming for his brand. But I'm happy for everybody involved, Kevin. It's been, it's, been, it's, been, uh, it's been as good as advertised. And as we know, save the best for last. Deion Sanders will be making an appearance this weekend because the cornerbacks are the cornerbacks and DBs are in the building. And just get Prime out there and run a 40 again and, uh, and see how it goes. <laughs> I think uh, BJ Bennett might pass out. Oh, yeah, BJ going to be watching it, but they go prime. I know he's on my TV. I can see him. There you go. We've got uh, so much more to get to it next week. Appreciate Matt Smith, uh, southernpigskin.com, Connor Riley, Dog Nation. Uh, joining us here on the program, Anthony Trace, Pro Football Focus, and Kelvin or Kevin Knight of the Falcoholic. Uh, certainly a lot of options there for Atlanta uh, coming out of this combine. Appreciate all those gentlemen joining us here on the show. We'll see you Monday. If you missed any portion of the show, ESPNCoaster.com. Go to our YouTube page as well. We'll see you Monday, 3 and out.